Free Talk Live. Welcome to the program. The phones are open if you want to join the show. Uh, the number here is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Last night during the program, we received a heads up from one of our callers that Donald Trump had been indicted in a federal court this time. So as you probably already know, a few months back, he was indicted in a New York City or Manhattan court for some New York charges. And now he's been hit with federal felony, looks like felony charges, uh, from what I was looking at earlier here today. And last night they were saying it was going to be seven or eight counts. No, it's 36 or 37 counts, something like that. It's dozens of, uh, of course, victimless uh, charges. You know, You know what's funny about the whole thing? It's like... People elected him to a position of power where he could have uh, declassified this, whether and whether he did or not. Hmm. Seems like I don't know. It just seems kind of stupid to now go after him for something he had the power to do, even if it, even if he didn't, he didn't declassify do it. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, it is stupid, uh, but this is <laughs> as I pointed out today on uh, social media over at social.freetalklive.com. He has committed the the most grave of crimes. He's committed a crime against the state's paperwork. And so, you know, anytime, like in the Crypto 6 case, Aria Demetso, our co-host, is going to prison for 18 months simply because she did not get a government permission slip to sell Bitcoin. Which, of course, no such slip exists, but that's what they're trying to say in the in the Crypto 6 case, is that you have to get a quote-unquote money transmitter license. Yeah. 18 months in it, prison for just that one count. And didn't you interview a guy from Texas over how even like you the guy couldn't even register in this state and without registering right. the fed said he was like not in compliance or something that's what they said yeah and so it's impossible 15 to, months it's impossible to be compliant yeah as we're seeing with the binance case and the coinbase case where the sec is bringing enforcement actions against cryptocurrency exchanges these uh, exchanges especially coinbase have, have jumped head over heels to try to be compliant but they can't understand how to possibly do that at least in the uh, in the Trump case, uh, we are just talking about paperwork here. They're saying he had paperwork he wasn't supposed to have. I mean, that's basically all this comes down to. It's a 49-page long indictment. The first 31 counts are essentially all about the classified documents that he had possession of. And then the others are variously you know, related counts. It's also kind of humorous because there there is a uh, there is a way to solve these problems, and it's to vote to vote somebody else into office, right? Like, I mean, this is the same thing that came up with You're joking, right? Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> the same thing happened with the insurrection uh, uh-huh. situation, right? They uh, if you don't like it, we went to a, in New Hampshire, there was a hearing uh, that was basically the result of a complaint that somebody filed, one of the Democrats filed to try and remove people. Who who voted for secession in New Hampshire politicians uh, from office. And they basically concluded with, well, that's not our job. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's, you know, if, if you want him removed, these politicians removed from office, vote him out, you know, vote somebody else in. Right. But of course, as you know, that is meaningless at the federal government level. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. Okay. But I I'm, I'm, sure. I'm just saying, like, if you're going to use, if that's, how do I say this? Like, if, if that's like a thing, then mm-hmm. that's that seems to be the process. Yeah, I mean, the only process here is to get. Uh, if there's going to be a vote, it should be to leave the United States. I mean, that's, I think that's a much better idea. That's the only way because normally voting doesn't change anything, right? Like that's the old joke: is if voting changed anything, they'd make it illegal <laughs> because it's just a show. You get scumbag A versus scumbag B. 
There's a few others that are running in third parties, but they get no attention, so they have no no chance to uh, to ever you know do anything. Uh, so it's you know it's it's turd sandwich one versus turd sandwich two, and you know people decide on that and act like it's going to make any kind of a difference. And the joke is that they're basically one in the same anyway. That's the thing, yeah. So I mean, the joke's on you if you still believe that you can do anything to change the United States federal government. It is. Uh, such a hall of power that it will always attract the most corrupted and the most corruptible people. That's just the end of the story. I don't care if you like DeSantis over Trump or RFK over uh, Biden. All of these people are power-seeking individuals. None of them understand the ideas of liberty. And even if they did understand the ideas of liberty, even if Ron Paul threw in his hat again at age 86 or however old he is, and, you know, actually managed to get the nomination for the Republican Party and actually won, even he would have a limited amount of ability to change anything in D.C. because Congress is still full of scumbags. So it's not like, you know, they're going to be sending him good libertarian legislation or something like that. There was a, uh, I think it was Jay on the other day uh, that said something like parasitic pencil pushers. I don't think I'd heard that term before. And I have to say, it's like like one of the best... uh, descriptions for these bureaucrats so you have to get out uh in order to solve this problem no amount of voting for other people at the federal level no matter how much you like them is going to make any difference because people thought trump was going to come in and make a you know make a difference and he didn't people thought obama was going to uh to get in there and close guantanamo bay and you know be a more peace-oriented president and he didn't he didn't do that nope uh so like why it is that people who should know better, like I could excuse it for like a teenager who's never paid attention to politics before for like glomming on to some candidate that they really thought was cool and getting excited about it because they've never been really, you know, paying attention. But if you're like, you know, in your 30s or 40s or or 50s or whatever, and you've been through an election cycle or two, then you should have learned your lesson by now. And that is that. None of these people who are trying to get your attention and your money or maybe but your volunteer Ian, time are worth your Ian, time. Biden is doing such great things. Really? What's that? Well, I don't know. I was, yeah, I was just yeah. being uh, sarc- yeah. No, these are not great people. <laughs> Sophie, uh, these are scum. Scum of the earth. Facetious. And the best thing we can do is to get out from underneath them entirely. And hopefully the, the worse things get, the more people will start to consider independence uh, as a solution. If you want to join the show here, the number is 603-283-6160. I don't want to dig down too far into the Trump story because I don't think there's really anything to it. He had documents. They say he wasn't supposed to. Is there going to be you know, a trial? Is he going to take a plea deal? I mean, knowing Trump, he'll probably demand a trial on this one. Just because it will be attention for him. He loves attention. He definitely seems like the type that would take it to trial but i don't know uh i mean some people are saying they've got him lock stock and barrel on this you know they they've got all the evidence they've got all the necessarily mean they he won't take it to trial Uh, oh yeah yeah no doubt i mean there's always the chance that some trumper is going to get on the jury and and hang the jury so i mean he he may have a, a very good chance there all right. So if you want to comment on that, though, you're welcome to. Again, he's facing 37 charges. They all look like felonies uh, from what I could see. And, yeah, it's pretty pretty serious. And, of course, as we saw with the uh, Crypto 6 case, if you don't take the plea deal, then they bring even more charges against you. So, you know, it may end up being 50 charges by the time 
it ends up going to trial. Of course, they also dropped a bunch of uh, our charges yeah, before I, trial. I was going to say, like, where did it go? It went from like... It went from 25 to 8. 25? Yeah, uh, they dropped 17 so wait, charges. So it started at, at what, and then it went to what, and then what was that final? I think we started at like 8 or 9 uh, 8 or 9. Charges. Okay, so it basically went back to what it was. I think so. Something like that. Uh, okay. It might have been like 12 charges that we started with. Anyway, so, so it went up, then you, it went down. It again. even went down to maybe even less than what you started with. Interesting. So, uh, well, they a, like to put that pressure on. They sure yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, that's just, standard, that's just standard operating procedures for prosecutors. So there's uh, some fresh news from a couple days ago. We announced, of course, the attacks this week by the Securities and Exchange Commission against uh, cryptocurrency exchanges. The biggest crypto exchanges, one, the largest in the world, Binance, the other, the largest in the United States, Coinbase. And this is, of course, huge news. I mean, it doesn't get any any bigger than this. The stakes are huge. They're going after these centralized exchanges. And, of course, here on Free Talk Live, we have recommended for many, many years uh, that you follow the, the basic rules of cryptocurrency, which are not your keys, not your coins. If you give your cryptocurrency, your Bitcoin or whatever other uh, coins, to somebody else for, quote, unquote, safekeeping, and then they get raided by the government or they get uh, hacked by a hacker or there's an inside job or whatever it is, something happens and they lose your coins, they're gone. You will be lucky if you ever get, you know, pennies on the coin later on uh, down the line out of this. So what has happened now? Uh, I mean, that, it's just crazy that somebody would hand over their crypto for somebody else to hold in the first place. The mm-hmm. whole idea of Bitcoin was to take away control from these centralized entities and give it, make yourself, uh, it basically gives you the power to be your own bank, right? Yes, that so, was the idea. So, so the idea that you would then go and give it to some other party to hold for you, just to me, is mind blowing. It's 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 telling me that you don't understand cryptocurrency. Oh, I think you're absolutely right about that. I think that uh, what we're dealing with here is the mainstreaming of cryptocurrency that has been going on for, let's say, since eh, 2017, somewhere in that range, 2018. Yeah. Uh, the mainstreaming of, uh, of cryptocurrency has resulted in probably millions of people worldwide who don't know what the original vision for uh, Bitcoin was, who aren't familiar with Probably don't even know who Satoshi Nakamoto you is. Know, you know the what founder else is, of Bitcoin. I, I find disturbing is that people people invest in stuff that they have no idea about, right? That's right. Like they didn't even do the most fundamental research right. on this thing that they're calling an investment, right? Like if you if you're gonna call Bitcoin an investment and be upset when you lose your cryptocurrency because the government raids one of these exchanges, I have a really hard time feeling, feeling sorry. Sorry for him. It, it, you know, it, I, I, yeah, don't I mean, it probably could be solved in, with a five minute video on it, YouTube. Really? And I, I, I invest in stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I don't invest in stuff before doing at least a little bit of research, a little, you know, doing my homework, you right. know? Yeah. I mean, that seems like basic stuff. Uh, and, and people don't know. And they, and of course, you know, they're used to, uh, putting the responsibility in other people's hands. People are used to, oh, I, I put this money in the bank. It's safe. They've got a vault. You know, there's an armed guard or whatever, right? So they say to themselves, oh, you know, Binance or Coinbase, these are professionals. They're in, they've got, I think Coinbase was bragging that they have insurance uh, some number of months or years ago. I know one of them definitely said they had insurance. I think it was Coinbase. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, insurance policies do not cover government seizures. Yeah. uh, They don't. It's actually illegal. I believe it's something like 
I'm not sure if I'm going to explain this quite right, but it's something like it's illegal for them to issue you an insurance policy that covers criminal activity. So if mm. if you if you're committing some sort of crime, they can't insure against uh, it. Right. Now I don't know what happens in a situation like this because the person that's being insured, I would think, would be the customer, but mm. maybe not. So it might be that insurance is invalid. Yeah, I I don't think you can claim an insurance on a government seizure of of assets. Yeah. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So no, even though they have insurance, it doesn't mean that you're safe. It doesn't mean that you're protected. The only way you can protect your uh, crypto assets is to keep hold of them in your own wallet that you have the keys to. And here's the latest story to give you another example. It just keeps on coming, right? Like the examples of why you need to do this have come out again and again and again, showing how people are going to lose their assets uh, in these circumstances. The SEC, according to Coindesk.com, is now seeking a temporary restraining order to freeze the assets of Binance.us. Binance.us is, of course, the uh, the United States exchange that Binance created. So Binance is a global exchange. It's the biggest one by far. But they, years ago, due to regulatory concerns about the United States, they spun off a subsidiary called Binance.us. And they said, U.S. users, you're no longer welcome at Binance." The normal website, Binance.com, and you know, within a six-month period, they'd shut down all, at least all of the U.S. accounts that they can identify. Now, the SEC is accusing Binance of shh, quietly letting the U.S. users in anyway. Now, whether they were doing that or not, I have <laughs> well, no evidence. You know what of it. they're saying is letting in the U.S. users. It's it's those who used a VPN to get around the the, the blockade. Well, the thing is, Binance. Uh, I know at one time had. Um, no requirements for KYC or know your customer, but then they put that into place a few years back. So I don't think they, at least the last I heard, they were not allowing you to just create a new account Mm -hmm. and trade with that account without showing any ID. So a VPN isn't going to get you around the requirement of having to show a passport or a driver's license or something. So you'd have to have another passport from another Maybe. country to or, get through. I mean, or accounts that were created prior to... No, they shut them all down. Oh, they shut the ones down that had no passport associated with them. Yeah. Okay, They did. They really did. I mean, the, so the they SEC... Really, they really jumped through hoops to... Yeah, to the, the SEC is acting like that there was some big uh, plot behind the scenes at Binance to let U.S. users in. And I, I can tell you, having attempted to, prior to being arrested for uh, selling Bitcoin by the feds, I attempted to register another account at uh, at Binance. Like I couldn't get through the security. You know, they they want to look at your ID, and if you got a United States passport, you're not getting in. Mm. So anyway, that's why they created Binance.us. The idea was Binance.us would have fewer uh, cryptos on it. They were being more selecting uh, as far as which cryptos they would they would allow. Maybe due to concerns about the SEC, I'm not sure why. Um, it's a smaller exchange, right? So it's just a fraction of the larger Binance. And so now the Securities and Exchange Commission has asked a court to grant a temporary restraining order to freeze assets tied to Binance.us today. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means you ain't getting your crypto. (laughs) Your assets. That's right. Right. If you have crypto on Binance.us, you would be an... It would be a good idea. Now, look, we're not financial advisors. I'm just saying what I would do if I were in your shoes. I'd get any coins I had on Binance.us out immediately. Is it too late 
because no, I checked. I okay. looked around to see if there was an update. This yep. story, it's is I think two or three days old at this point. So the the request to get this restraining order went in on like Wednesday. Okay, but it hasn't um, been issued yet. From what I can tell, the order hasn't been issued yet. There was another story that said like fifty billion dollars worth of assets have left the Binance.us exchange like in the last twenty four hours. So people are definitely withdrawing from the exchange. You know what else is uh, something people should be concerned about is that the courts don't consider your crypto on an exchange to be your assets. That's true. Yeah, that, that was so, decided in the Celsius case. Yep. It was essentially the argument there was that the Celsius terms of service essentially said that once you give them to us, we do what we want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll let you have it if we feel like it, but they're ours to do what we want with. Uh, so the court made the filing or court filing made in D.C. District Court asked for approval to freeze assets tied to BAM Management U.S. Holdings and BAM Trading Services, the holding and operating firms for Binance.us. Of course, as you know, uh, this week, the Securities and Exchange Commission sued Binance.us, Binance Global and Binance founder Chen Peng Zhao on Monday, alleging a host of compliance and control failures, including claims that the companies tied to Zhao were able to secretly access funds belonging to Binance.us customers. Again, whether or not any of those allegations are true does not matter. If I were in your shoes and if I had any coins on Binance.us, I would be logging in immediately and ordering those coins to be withdrawn. You will be lucky if they actually are withdrawn to you and that Binance.us doesn't put up a notice on their site saying, sorry, we're freezing all withdrawals. Mm. We're expecting court action. Or we're, you know. And in fact, they are uh, doing something. There was a notice that came through to Binance users, I think it was yesterday or yesterday evening. Uh, Dear user, as you may be aware, Binance.us, alongside other companies in our industry, has become the target of aggressive tactics by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. The SEC has brought unjustified civil claims against our business, from which we will continue to vigorously defend ourselves, our customers, our partners in industry. Irrespective of the baseless claims and in light of the Commission's increasingly aggressive tactics, our payment and banking partners have signaled their intent to, quote, pause USD fiat channels as early as June 13th, 2013. So what's happening is... Their bank, whoever it is that they use to allow their customers to deposit dollars to their exchange, has told them, yeah, we're done with you. We're going to pause the banking channels. Now, to me, that sounds like the bank is closing their account. And the word pause is being used here, probably in a somewhat dishonest manner. But regardless, as they point out here, our ability to accept U.S. fiat deposits and USD fiat withdrawals uh, will be impacted. So if you, again, if you have not just crypto on Binance.us, if you have dollars sitting there that you deposited with the intention to buy some cryptocurrency, you should either, if it were, if it were me, I would either immediately spend those dollars to buy Bitcoin or whatever other cryptocurrencies you want to buy and withdraw them immediately or order the, uh, the wire transfer of your dollars out of the exchange immediately. You know, I'd almost be concerned about withdrawing uh dollar or yeah withdrawing dollars from the exchange um i would think that the bitcoin uh buying bitcoin and moving it out would be a better move yeah quicker and faster probably true 
yeah, yeah. you wouldn't have to wait on the banking system. Yeah, in that I, case. and who knows what's going to happen with the banking system, you know? Right, and they're saying you've got until the 13th. Well, uh, that's like Tuesday. The feds might come okay. in and like stop the right. transfers, you know, once they get a hold of it. You yeah, know? right. Or, if, if this uh, this thing they have applied for, the feds have applied for, is uh, is granted. If it's right. granted today, or I mean, uh, there's a certain amount of time that they can pull stuff back after you know they've sent your money mm-hmm. with the with the banking system. So. Yeah. Uh, they say here, as part of our customer-first commitment, we're notifying users promptly so you can take necessary actions as we transition to a crypto-only exchange. <laughs> to be clear, we maintain one-to-one reserves for all customer assets, so funds are always safe, secure, and available. Not if the feds snatch them all. Yeah. They will not be available. Not if the feds order them to freeze the account, uh, you know... If that ends up happening, as we've seen with the uh, FTX case, you know, the FTX thing where there's billions of customer funds that were allegedly being misappropriated by the FTX people. I don't know if you heard, but the IRS has brought a case or some sort of action against FTX saying, yeah, any billions you manage to recover because they're trying to claw back. Like a lot of the donations that they gave to politicians and things like that. They're oh, trying to yeah, claw yeah, back yeah. as much of the, the money as possible. The customer's money as yeah. possible. But the IRS is saying, no, we're going to take that. No, we, we want those billions for ourselves. So the, even if they do get billions of dollars back to FTX, there's a good chance that all of them are going to go right out the door to the IRS in penalties. The customers were, are going to be the ones who pay the price. For this. And the same thing can happen here in the Binance case. Because as you pointed out, if you deposit to an exchange, they're no longer your funds. Nope. So if Binance has all of its assets frozen and then they lose the case brought against them by the SEC, guess where those assets are going to go? You know, the funny thing about this, too, is that the government's argument is they're protecting investors. And it's so insane given that they're literally stealing money from investors. That's exactly what's happening here. Uh, And I mean, anybody who believes these government goons, well, I don't know what to tell you. You're gullible. The number here is 603-283-6160. So that's the latest on Binance. They're shutting down U.S. dollar deposits and withdrawals as of Tuesday and becoming a crypto-only exchange. And there's the possibility, not not yet completed, that the feds will freeze the entirety of the exchange's assets. More coming up. Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction and has implemented really cool features to ensure it's undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible and its network is protected from 51% attacks by their Chainlocks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Big thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. Yeah! 
show here and bring up anything you want. Uh, the number is 603-283-6160. Apparently, we weren't streaming to some of our video streaming platforms earlier, including our main one, Odyssey. So sorry to anybody that was waiting for the show there. Uh, the number, if you want to join us, 603-283-6160. Uh, just to recap, for those just tuning in, the Binance Exchange Binance.us, their U.S. edition, uh, is being sued by the SEC. We talked about that earlier this week. The developments that you need to know about are that they are now being, um, there's a request in with the court to put a freeze on all of the assets of the Binance.us exchange, which means all of the customers' assets. So that could be happening any day now. I don't know if they have to wait, you know, two weeks or whatever for the other side to file an objection or if this is like an ex parte, you know, kind of thing. I guess we wouldn't have heard about it if it was ex parte. Yeah, I, I would think I would think if it was a secret. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, or if they wanted to keep it secret, they would have filed it. So, yeah, I don't know if it is um, an urgent. Whatever you call motion uh, in this case, but it doesn't seem like it since nothing has happened in three days. So just because nothing has happened yet doesn't mean it isn't going to come down on Monday or over the weekend or whatever. So if I were you, what I would do if I had any funds on the Binance.us exchange, which you shouldn't keep funds on exchanges. This is reason number one. Uh, if you're going to use a centralized exchange, what you ought to do is deposit the funds you want to exchange, exchange those funds, and then withdraw the uh, the funds immediately. You meaning should, to your own crypto wallet. Meaning to your own, thank you, yes, to your own crypto wallet to which you control the keys and no one else does. And then at least you're only risking something bad happening for the short amount of time that you're keeping funds on the centralized exchange. I understand people, they got to swap things and unfortunately centralized exchanges tend to be the way that people do that these days, well, even though there, there are, are some. Yeah, there are some decentralized exchanges now. There are. There are. Uh, the, however, they don't have, like, you know, thousands of tokens or, or whatever. It's, I think, ThorChain's probably up to, I think there's still less than 10 uh, different coins that you can swap there. And it's it's coming along. There, There's definitely some exciting decentralized exchanges out there well, that's, I that's mean, worth looking into. Part of the problem is that there's not enough people doing that, right? Yeah, there needs so to that's be more why volume. people need to switch yep. and go in that direction Absolutely. so that they're not putting their assets at risk. So that's happening now. If you've got an account on Binance.us, you really should consider emptying it as soon as possible. There is no benefit to you. Okay, there's no. You're not going to be a winner in this lawsuit. <laughs> okay, if if the SEC loses against Binance.us, and right now they've got a winning record against cryptocurrency. We've been following the library case here pretty closely. SEC versus library. That's lbry.com. We've been following that pretty closely here on Free Talk Live. Library lost that case. They shouldn't have, but the federal judge in the District Court of New Hampshire decided that library token was a security. Well, I mean, you know, in other cases, one of the judges thought, li uh, not library, but uh, Bitcoin was, or sorry, the blockchain was a person too. So, yes, that's right. I mean, you, yeah, yeah, you're going up against a... Uh, a beast where the uh, where the judge basically doesn't these judges don't understand what it is that they're ruling on. No, they don't. But in the case of library, they've been absolutely destroyed financially, and so they don't, they don't have any money to appeal that decision. So that one's going to stand. Now the SEC is also suing Ripple and has been going after them for years. We are waiting on the verdict in that particular case. 
And of course, the Ripple people, they're like, you know, like a lot of the crypto people out there, there's this cult phenomenon mm. that, that gets sort of generated around popular cryptocurrencies. So there's a Ripple cult. And there's a bunch of people out there that they are, they believe so hard that this judge in the Ripple case is going to rule in their favor. They are definitely convinced. And I hope they're right. That would be great. It would at least go against uh, the library case and maybe give give us some contradicting uh, court decisions in the federal court system. You know, you know what it feels like. But I'm not optimistic. It it, it feels like some of the more um, out there legal arguments, right? And it, that that's what it feels like to me mm-hmm. with the, with the Ripple case, right? Like with people saying, "Well, you should have just argued it differently or argued a different point." And I don't know. Like I I'm I'm a little skeptical because I'm not. I'm not used to seeing wins, you know? Nope, me neither. So, I mean, don't hold your breath on that particular case. That's another big one that's in play. And, of course, the SEC is coming after Coinbase. It's coming after Binance. And so my point was, even if Binance somehow magically defeats the SEC with all of its taxpayer dollars, that, of course, costs them nothing to bring these lawsuits against these companies that will be potentially ruinous to the companies, if Binance wins this case and you didn't withdraw your funds from the Binance exchange, then all you'll get later is the ability to withdraw your funds, you know, three (laughs) years later. Maybe. 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 (laughs) If they haven't spent them on lawyers or something like that. So there's no benefit to you to stay in this thing. It's, it's, you know, the other thing that's interesting about these cases is people, I don't think they always, they, I, I, I don't think people, a lot of people understand like when you're going up or when you have any kind of criminal or civil case where there's a government involved as an opposing party, you, you're in the situation where they've got hundreds of people, hundreds, uh, you know, uh, you know, we got dozens of lawyers might be working on the case and, you know, all these other folks investigating and, and all this. And, and what do you have? I mean, in the best case scenario, what was OJ? OJ had like 20 lawyers or something like that. Yeah, it was, at it least was a half lot. a dozen. But yeah. that was like the best case scenario. Most people have one lawyer, right? So even if even if Ripple has a dozen lawyers, they're still, you know, up. They're 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 still at a, a severe disadvantage. Yep. Oh, by the way, uh, this hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is a cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending, and big fans of cryptos that are actually useful here on Free Talk Live. In fact, uh, Bitcoin, which is of course the big coin in the world of cryptocurrencies, is pretty much useless for buying things because its fees are insane. If you want to buy something with Bitcoin, you may be paying a dollar or two in fees on a median fee. You may pay even more than that. It's possible, uh, depending on how busy the network is. But right now, it's pretty typical to see a dollar or $2 fees on Bitcoin from the charts that I've uh, looked at online. And that is impossible like, that is completely unjustifiable for somebody that wants to make a small purchase. If you're going to buy a cup of coffee for 3 bucks, and it's a $2 fee on top of that. You're not going to spend the Bitcoin. So you got to have something else. you got to have something that's actually useful, something with a very, very low fee, and that is Dash. Their fees are typically far less than $0.01 cent per transaction. And Dash has implemented some really cool features to make sure it is undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible, and its network is protected from 51% attacks by their chain locks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. And Dash is, by the way, one of the oldest cryptocurrencies out there. It's widely available on exchanges 
and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get. It's easy to use Dash. You can start by learning more at Dash.org. And big thanks to the Dash Decentralized Autonomous Organization for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. You can visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. That is Dash.org. Let's go to the phones here. We got Ricky on the line in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Ricky, you're on Free Talk Live. Thank you there, brother. And would that be Chris who's over there? Who is that? Yeah, it is Chris. Hey, brother Chris. All right. Well, tonight's going to be something a little different. It's funny. The last time I talked about Gnosticism was 2015. I never talked about it again with you and Daryl because I thought it wasn't appropriate. How times have changed. Nonetheless, concerning last night's caller, I believe his name was Tim. Now, he was right and wrong about a lot of things. I want to clarify that from the listeners, from a high-level Gnostics point of view. Now, concerning the book of Revelation, and we'll start with the easiest one first. Now, he mentioned about the number 666 referring to Nero. Well, he's kind of right, but not right. You see, in the canonized Bible, it does say in the book of Revelation, listen to those who understand this is wisdom. And then it gives the number of the B666. Now, my answer, that's probably wrong because it was around 2007 that we found an incredible archaeological find. It was somewhere where they have these texts, and it was in a scrap pile. And what it turned out to be was a second draft of a page of the book of Revelation. And what it had is six, and then it had the middle number, one digit off, and then six. Now, what we were able to do is compare that to another document was draft number one. This was incredibly rare that said 666 with a six crossed out. Now, when you use that number, and you can doc check into this. This is documented fine. The number that I mentioned with the new number on the second draft, that's the one that points to Nero. The 666 doesn't. Okay. That's I don't see why thing. anyone really cares about this. Well, here's the interesting part, though, that I find fascinating. The book of Revelation is the only book of the ancient text we do know an exact date because it was hand-delivered and said to be read out loud. But the fascinating thing is he's wrong about saying about at the time of Nero. It actually predates that. It predates both Christianity and Nero, uh, which I find fascinating. You know, and one are there, of the not, are there was, not like a lot of religious talk shows you can call? <laughs> well, no, I was just, okay, so this isn't interesting, you know? No, it sounds, it sounds really boring to me. I'm like, falling asleep here, no yeah. offense, but I, I just... Why should anyone care about this? Well, because what I find fascinating is, yes, they did shift the timeline. And why would somebody deliberately shift the timeline from the time period to now? Simple example. The so timeline of what? The new world. So people like, whether it be the United States and all of that, would now be looking at this. It was written for the time period. That is correct. And, and just like a lot of things. You know, it's very sad. And there, there are people that say that the book of Revelation is a not- That's very sad. Lot. Huh? You said it's very sad. What is sad? I think it's sad that, you know, people like the Catholic Church and others over time will take this book and pervert the timeline just so it fits today's time period was obviously never written for it. You're you know, talking about the Bible. Just to be clear, you're talking about the Bible here? Book of Revelation. Okay. You know, another thing, too, at the end of the book of Revelation, it says about people who change the words of this book, blah, blah, blah. 
People look and think it's the whole Bible. No, it's referring to a single book, <laughs> the Revelation. So are not you like a Christian or something? No, I'm Gnostic. And what does that mean? Gnostics were individuals at the time. We now know them as the Essenes. But see, Gnostics are those that believe in esoteric knowledge and mysticism. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Aria, I guess, knows all about it. You know, the captain said I should talk to her about it. I talked about this back in 2015. Right. You know, one thing we have commonly in Aria, Christians both think we're evil. All right. Hey, thanks for the call tonight, Ricky. Yeah. I appreciate it. I can't take any more of it. Uh, the number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. I think some religious discussions can be interesting, but not like biblical, <sighs> dating, numerology. I mean, it's a pretty – I mean, this is, a, this is a general kind of show. It's not – like you're not going to be talking to people or having people listen necessarily that are going to be like – I don't know. Well, I'm happy to talk about like theological questions or issues, the nature of yeah, but the he's universe. getting into the weeds, man. Yeah, yeah, and they're just talking about dates. It's really, really dull. Uh, the number here is six zero three two eight three sixty one sixty. So I don't think there's really anything else to share about the Binance story. Um, but you know, get your assets out if you possibly can. Uh, the number again, 603-283-6160. So another story that I had here tonight. Uh, Chris, is in regards to Americans, specifically younger Americans, and how many of them are all about the nanny state? How many of them are all about Big Brother, uh, as Reason.com puts it, in their own houses? According to a recent study... 98%. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not that bad. I mean, it's bad, but it's not that bad. Okay. Uh, here, here's a story from Reason.com. Let's, 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 let's hear the numbers. The good news is that only a minority of younger Americans favor Big Brother-style surveillance of our home life. The bad news is we're discussing this because it's disturbingly large, uh, a share supporting such a totalitarian intrusion. Worse, the idea seems to be gaining acceptance. We either need to get a handle on what's going on here or else or else potentially suffer lives monitored by unblinking eyes of the state imposed by popular demand. According to uh, this Cato Institute, quote, Americans under the age of 30 stand out when it comes to 1984 style in-home government surveillance cameras. Three out of 10 Americans, roughly 29 percent of Americans under the age of 30 favor, quote, the government installing surveillance cameras in every household in order to, quote, reduce domestic violence, abuse, and other illegal activity. <laughs> quote, support declines with age, dropping to 20% among 30 to 44-year-olds and dropping considerably to 6% among those over the age of 45. So that's pretty disturbing that if you've got friends who are in the millennial or uh, more so Gen Z, it's mostly Gen Z, it's under 30. I think um, Bonnie is, she just turned 27, and so she's on the, the, the borderline of uh, Gen Z and millennial. So if you're under 30, you're either a very young or sorry, very old millennial or you're, uh, you're Gen Z, basically. Uh, and uh, so it's a very, very, very disturbing number here. The survey 
in question focused on central bank digital currencies, government-sponsored alternatives to digital money such as Bitcoin. CBDCs would offer the convenience of digital payments, but potentially without privacy protections, and could empower the state to control what people buy and sell. It absolutely will, uh, if they implement it. Right now, we're still waiting to see if they actually uh, approve a CBDC here in the United States. They are testing CBDC software, so... The ball is sort of rolling on this, but it hasn't actually been approved by Congress to be implemented. Whether that comes sooner or later, we will certainly let you know. But interestingly, more than half of those who support the United States adopting a CBDC are also supportive of government surveillance cameras in homes. So if you agree with the CBDC, then there's a good chance you also think 53% of those people think it's a great idea to have a government surveillance camera in all homes. This is how <clears throat> this is how we ended up with uh breathalyzers in every car. Yes. Yeah. And that's coming soon. We talked uh, about that last yeah, week. We just talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> just last all, last Friday on this show. This suggests there may be a common consideration that is prompted by both issues. Likely it has to do with willingness to give up privacy in the hopes of greater security. If that's the case, it may be a growing willingness to prioritize security over privacy. Note, not just the 29% for in-home surveillance among the youngest cohort, but also the 20% support among those aged 30 to 44. And now you're talking about the millennials as well here. So one out of five millennials is uh, supporting government monitoring in every home. 6% support among older cohorts is a sort of random approval for any crazy idea you'd expect to see in a population. The jump to 20% and then 29%, though, looks like something different. But what? Uh, Psychologist Clay Routledge, the vice president of research and director of the Human Flourishing Lab, the Archbridge Institute, said, quote, I think there are two ways to think about this new finding from Cato, and both can be true at the same time and may even be connected. The first is a story of technology driving changing attitudes. Younger generations have grown up with less privacy than older generations. Oh, yeah. Buses, you know, cameras. Schools, cameras. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, the, computers, yeah. the computers that, you know, kids are using, cameras. They're, they're bugged. Uh, he says younger generations have grown up with less privacy because of technological trends related to smartphones, social media. So this finding may represent a greater comfort with more surveillance as a result of how they grew up. But, the, you know, the problem, of course, is it's also a result of ignorance of what the nature of the state is, right? Because when I walk into a Walmart and I see myself on the little camera TV that shows, oh, you're being watched, right? They got that in a lot of these Walmarts. Mm -hmm. It doesn't bother me because I know Walmart isn't going to use, you know, the video that they get to send men with guns to my home and put a gun to my head to demand things from me. Uh, The government does that. The people calling themselves the state of fill-in-the-blank yeah, or the federal government. I, I, I'm not sure that there's no danger or concern there, but I think that the the real danger, the bigger danger, is in the connection of these sorts of devices to the government. Sure. Right? It's it's not so much, you know, that, you know, it's not so much like, for example, tolls are a good example. It's not so much that you have, you have a means of, uh, you know, paying through an electronic system it's that if you don't want to pay through an electronic system, you don't have a choice, and that will mm-hmm. be used against you in court at a later point. And it is being used against people, you know, in court, uh, you know, beyond the scope of what it wasn't even intended. 
So I understand why, you know, people may feel more comfortable with being open or seeing surveillance around. But the evil comes in when, as you said, these systems become connected to the state. And then they can be used to file charges against you for things you didn't know were illegal, victimless things. Uh, or crimes you, that weren't that you didn't even commit, for that matter. Sure. And you know the idea of taking surveillance into the home just really shows how far people have gone and lost you know any kind of connection to the uh, the value for privacy. And again, it's still less than a third, but it's a significant number to say you know roughly three out of ten. Uh, young people and one out of five uh, millennials are supporting this. The second here, he says, is a story of mental health driving changing attitudes. Younger generations are more anxious, and when people are anxious, they become more likely to privilege security over freedom. So this finding may represent a greater comfort with less freedom as a result of greater mental distress. Have these people considered the distress they're going to be under when a bearcat <laughs> smashes through their front door and a SWAT team comes in and shoots their dog or throws a grenade in their baby's crib? Uh, you know, the crazy thing is you can already set up your own security camera and sure. like funnel it to the police. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it's true. called, uh, I'm trying to think Amazon uh, Ring lets right, you do that, yeah, right? Yep. Something like that. I, don't, I forget exactly what the name of it is, but Amazon yeah. has a product mm-hmm. to do that. Um, you know, it's, it's. Yeah, but they're worried about other people. They want to force it down everyone's throat. And these explanations might be connected because the growing surveillance culture and social media more broadly may be contributing to higher rates of anxiety, which ironically may lead to greater support for more surveillance, leading to more anxiety. How I don't even understand this. I would think the anxiety would come from cameras in your home. Not from there not being – are you more afraid of the people that you live with than you than are of the government? government? Because that's a really, really bizarre uh, – I, I don't even yeah. understand how you can how you can be more afraid of the people you live with than the government. The government is got unlimited resources, okay? They use violence on a regular basis. Yeah. I mean they – it's just – it's bewildering to me that – you know, close to one in three young people could could have a position like this. If you are out there and you know people like this, you want to call in and share uh, any conversations you've had, or maybe you are somebody that thinks that there should be government surveillance cameras inside people's homes, everyone's home. That's the proposal in this question. Uh, the number here, if you want to join the show, is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Uh, this something uh, this whole anxiety thing is something that I've been critical of for years on Free Talk Live. I don't remember. I mean, you're close to my age, Chris. Do you remember growing up in the 90s, you know, uh, going to school? Do you remember having classmates who were always talking about how anxious they were, how anxious and depressed they were? No. <laughs> no, I didn't ever have that um, happen. But that you hear it all seems the time. Very bizarre to me. But now you hear it all the time from you do. from young people. It's like, or you hear it from the media at least. I think no, you actually hear it from young people. Like it's out there as this thing that it's just a normal thing now for young people to be anxious all the time. I don't know that many young people, so I I, I don't know. I, I definitely can't say I have any firsthand experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, interacting with somebody who has said they have high anxiety like that. I mean, I think that's not. I think that people have anxiety. I just don't know if if it's any higher than it was. 
Well, I mean, everybody can get anxious, right? Like right, if you're like, excited about a thing that's going to happen, you're going to get a, an award at work or something like that. You have to give a speech or whatever. You might have some anxiety about a thing that's going to happen to you. But these people are constantly anxious. They're just always anxious about something. They actually are anxious when they get up in the morning. They're anxious when they go to bed at night. I mean, it's just I can't even understand living this way. But why anyone who is anxious constantly would think that the government's going to make that better for them? By putting a video Crazy. camera in their home? I mean, what? The number here is 603-283-6160. If you want to join the show, you can bring up whatever you want. It's Free Talk Live. On Free Talk Live, we're bringing people to the ideas of liberty every day. From wrestling superstars like Glenn Jacobs. You guys really are having an impact, I believe. Like I said, uh, a lot of... Where I am now is due to listening to Free Talk Live. You changed my mind on some very important issues years ago. To random people tuning in on the radio. I was kind of stuck in the left-right paradigm. I heard your show by chance on a Saturday night. From there, I went on doing the Free State Project and become an amplifier. So, I mean, that's really the reason why I amp is uh, because... I know that if it wasn't for you guys being on as many stations as you are, I never would have found the ideas of liberty. You can help more people hear the message of liberty by joining Free Talk Live's AMPS program on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. And you'll get access to special perks. Visit amps.freetalklive.com, amps.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live, and of course, you can join the show. Bring up anything you want. Uh, the number here is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. If you appreciate what we do here on Free Talk Live, then we would appreciate it if you directly support the program. By joining our AMPS program, as though uh, as Dominic Bashford has done. He is a silver-level supporter of AMPS. AMPS stands for Advertise, Market, Promote, and Support. It's a way for you to get behind what we do here seven nights a week on Free Talk Live, on broadcast radio, on podcast, live streaming, and uh, satellite over Africa as well. So thank you to everybody who supports the show through the AMPS program at amps.freetalklive.com. That's where you can get signed up through our Patreon if you don't like Patreon, we have an option for you. You can go to video.freetalklive.com to our Odyssey channel and click join at the top of the page there, and then you can sign up with your debit card or credit card that way as well. So you got more than one way to support the show directly. Uh, once again, try amps.freetalklive.com or video.freetalklive.com. So you and Chris here tonight. We've got Major Payne on the line talking about a disturbing number of Americans of a younger age, the younger set of Americans, those under the age of 30, it's uh, about one, it's about, uh, sorry, three out of 10, 29% of them that say that Americans should have government camera systems inside everyone's homes. And uh, when you increase I mean, the age from... Does, does that include the bedroom? <laughs> I don't know if they got that detailed with the questions, <laughs> but uh since in homes, pretty bad, whether it's in your bedroom or your bathroom yeah. or, uh, or your kitchen, it's still pretty disturbing. Wow. Uh, and then it's 20% of those 30 to 44-year-olds. So millennials, uh, 20% of them, one out of five, say, yeah, bring the government cameras in, my house, your house, everyone's house. Major Payne, you're on. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I'm I'm sure they even equipped the tidy bowl man with his own little boat camera. It's in your toilet now. <laughs> I, I, I don't even like having cameras on the outside of my house, let alone yeah, right. inside, right? Like So anyway, you think back about this. You're talking about people thirty and and uh, under pretty much. Mm-hmm. It was about twenty years ago that the inner tube took deep root on society. Yeah. And what I'm bringing up is the stress of the mother during the pregnancy. Speaking of which, here goes the cops flying by my freaking house. Okay. Yep, yep. Can you hear him? I heard him. Yeah, I hear him. They're there. All right, what else? They're there. Just try to ignore him. Go ahead. Oh, hell, they're going deep after somebody. They're riding three, four deep. I ain't even got the window open, but I can tell by the noise. Uh, as long as they're not rolling up in your front yard, uh, we'll just keep the well, call going, all right? They've done that before, but they don't do with that <laughs> with lights blaring. They want to yeah. catch you with your underwear on. Yeah, that's true. All right, so <laughs> anyway, what else, man? So, uh, when, the, when the mother is in a stressful situation during pregnancy, she is much more likely to, to throw a hyperactive or even... Uh, what are they, ADHD, they used, they used to call it. Uh-huh, yeah. And, uh, and you just think about the deer and the domestic stock of the world. When, when you're born in the wild and there's always something trying to eat you, you got to learn to be hypervigilant or you ain't going to survive. Okay. I mean, I could see that, I could see that as a, uh, you know, a creature who could be, uh, exterminated by you know a, a lion or a tiger around every corner that could cause a little bit of anxiety i could understand that but in today's society you don't face those kind of dangers you know <laughs> like you know the, the biggest danger young people are going to face is they're looking at their phones they're walking around they might smack themselves into a, a telephone pole or something like that and that well that is the danger is the the eternal stress on the young young teenager trying to be accepted on this internet society where everybody just goes, you know, know the crazy thing I find about that is it's so much easier. I think online than it is in the real world. Like there's different communities that you can participate in, right? Like you're not forced to participate. That's true. On just Facebook with like your other peers in your local you know, area. That's like, true. Yeah, you can select your community. So wide and so broad. If you have a topic, uh, you know, something of interest, right? Like, for example, um, you know, I'm into technology, so I would go onto technology forums, right? Like, you don't mm-hmm. have to go on Facebook. You can find something you're interested in, right? That's and a great point. Find friends and make friends. Well, the thing is, is these these kids they want to be accepted, you know. So the, the the little fishes they swim with the school, and kids are cruel. Now they was cruel when I was in school, and now you got them just talking with their thumbs, where you can't even mm-hmm. stick your tongue out at them or tell them you're full of beans or you know, and it's just I, here's my opinion and that's that. Yeah, if you're <laughs> if you're not on the phone, you don't exist to uh, to young people. And you know what else? You can like the the crazy thing is like you know teenagers back in my day you couldn't just block somebody now you can mm-hmm. hit the block button right like I I just don't get it yeah I really don't either uh, but if you're out there and you want to weigh in feel free what else major first time first time I had a little teenage girl maybe 15 years ago put her hand up in my face and say talk to the hand because the face ain't listening <laughs> I about wanted to slap that child. It's like, what? I, you, just 
back in your sandbox, you stupid infant. <laughs> Major, thanks for the call tonight. I appreciate it. Uh, the number here is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Maybe you are out there uh, using this technology and you have some kind of explanation. Is it the technology that is causing the anxiety? Because I'm on the internet all the time. You're on the internet all mm-hmm. the time, Chris. I know, to be fair, you aren't on any major social media sites, but I'm on Twitter. Yeah, but you know what? I am on I am on platforms that other people in my community are on in the same sense mm-hmm. that if somebody was on Facebook, they're probably interacting with people. I'm assuming, and maybe I'm wrong here because I don't use Facebook, but they're interacting with other people like maybe at their school or in their at their job or something, mm-hmm. right? presumably yeah oh that's right you don't use facebook either but my point is that like well i have used facebook it's been five years but i i did use it at one time for most of a decade i think of my life and i wouldn't say it caused me anxiety at any point it caused me some annoyance yeah annoyance is probably uh but a better word for it but anxiety no but maybe again i you know i'm in my 40s right so i i I didn't have the same experience growing up as uh, as the younger set, and I just it's I'm like you on this one, Chris. I just it's hard for me to relate to why these people are so anxious, and further why they would support government monitoring of uh, of their homes. Let's continue with the story here from Reason.com, looking at a, a study by the Cato Institute, which they link to here, and I've actually pulled that up. It's pretty interesting. It's about CBDCs, the central bank digital currencies. We can talk about that in a moment. But they interviewed this psychologist, Clay Routledge, who is the vice president of research and director of the Human Flourishing Lab, the Archbridge Institute. He was the one who was making this theory that he believes that uh, it's younger generations are more anxious because of internet, basically. He has been following these developments for years. In 2017, while teaching at North Dakota State University, he wrote a piece for the New York Times examining survey results revealing declining support for free speech and democracy among younger adults. He worried that years of safety-obsessed parenting and schooling promoted a, quote, culture of victimhood that made children anxious and fearful. Those children then carried their concerns forward into adulthood. Now, that makes sense to me that makes a lot of sense to me too um i i i totally get it um i you know it's interesting i grew up i think in an era when i was younger that didn't have that safety you know mm-hmm. thing and then somehow in my teenage years it kind of became big right and it right. was like like okay you're now concerned about like what movies i watch or, like when i was six seven eight years old nobody cared mm. but now that i'm a teenager people care like Did your parents I, fall into that trap uh, it, you know it was just it was just a general thing like mm-hmm. it, it's in, it was in society but it didn't affect your yeah family? like i mean i remember going to the movies and watching r-rated movies when i was younger um mm-hmm. no Me problem too. no parents and um and then the first time i think i ever encountered like for just for as an example um i went to a movie theater in boston when i was like 13 mm-hmm. and i couldn't get into an r-rated movie for the it was the first time i'd ever been carded to get into an r-rated movie and wow. I, I just was like what is this what are you talking about you want to see my id like i just didn't understand that because i hadn't been babied to death you know so you were able to get point. into r-rated movies before the age of 13 with no yeah parental... um, there was there was a theater down the street you know uh-huh. it was like it wasn't a big theater it was like seven or eight screens yeah. and uh i could yeah 
go no problem wow um, okay yeah i mean uh, but this was in the you know we're talking about the early 90s as opposed to the late 90s and the late 90s is when it seemed to become more of a you know there's there was mm. more babying going on i feel like i think maybe it was just i didn't even consider trying it uh, as a as a young person just well because... i mean were, were you like in a suburb did you have to drive to get to the theater i mean it, so there, there, there may be some other factors here right like if yeah, you had to drive be. to get to a theater you probably had to have to. some adult with you so yeah, it wasn't that's true it wasn't an issue but if you were able to get to the theater yourself on a bike or you know just walking there i think it probably had to, to do with whoever it was that ran that theater in, in your particular case that they just didn't care I, you know uh, but the same thing that, was true with like um uh what was a uh, vhs and dvd rentals like it wasn't mm-hmm. until a teenager that i ever had a problem renting, renting. like r-rated movies. interesting like same thing and, mm-hmm. and the funny thing about that was they would sell like blockbuster would sell me a an r-rated movie without id but they wouldn't rent me the movie <laughs> it's ridiculous I, yeah i i was just like I, really like you you i you will let me buy the movie for a few dollars more but you won't <laughs> rent the same movie to me well, i actually i actually had that happen once i believe blockbuster. You. yeah that's crazy um but the whole victim or not victim the this uh, parental what's the term helicopter parenting that's the thing that that came out when we were doing the show almost 20 years ago uh this idea of the helicopter parent the parent that was always hovering yeah they're always there wherever their kids are they're always paying attention you gotta call the friend's parent before you know uh, you know you'll let your kid go play with that other kid like 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 that's just crazy to me like i understand that like you know, there are some bad parents out there or there's some bad kids, but like that you have to, I've actually, I actually had a friend. Well, I don't know if I'd call him a friend, but when I was younger, there was somebody I knew who actually had a parent who would call and w- insist on meeting up with the other parents before they would allow their kid to play with like the friend or whatever. It, it was just, I, I just did not, I don't mm. understand that level of like paranoia. Yeah, I mean, I could under I could understand the reasoning for that because, you know, if you are concerned with what your kid's going to run into, and some parents are more concerned about like, you know, let's look at like a Christian parent for instance. You know, they they may not want their kids going and over going over and watching movies that they would not normally want them to watch. I mean, these are a little more controlling types of parents. Yeah, control um, freaks. But I cuz I can understand why they would want to meet those those parents. And you also wouldn't want your kid going into like you know, a dirty trailer or something like that. They're that you know they're going to get some sort of infection or whatever from being there. So I, I, understand could, I could understand that, that, but you can react to that situation too. You know, once you've learned about it, you don't have to take the step of yeah. watching and like logging on a GPS device. Like every <laughs> like every. But I mean, I don't know. Like when I was little, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have these devices that would let parents, you know, watch every place. You know, if your kid didn't get home, you know, at six o'clock or whatever, you know, you'd be pulling out, like trying to figure out where they were. You know, it's like, okay, it's not yet dark, you know, give it another couple of hours before you start freaking out. Yeah. There's a really great website called uh, free range kids. I haven't been to it for some time, but the lady that created the site and the organization uh, Lenore Skenazy we've had her on the show before she was the lady who made headlines probably more than a decade ago maybe like 15 years ago I don't know how long it's been but sometime uh, she made headlines for being quote-unquote the world's worst mother because in New York City she allowed her I think then eight or ten eight to ten year old son to take a bus home 
from school. Oh my god! By himself, really? Yeah, like a big boy, right? Like, like you know, <laughs> you take the bus. I mean, this is not not ab- the school bus. Yeah, I get the city it. I get bus, it. This right? is not that abnormal in many, uh, in, in in probably most of the world. This is normal, yes. or at least it was a decade ago. Right, and that's the thing. Well, that's the thing. It's been probably at least twenty years that this whole safety society thing, or safetyism, is a newer term that I've heard for it, has been pushed heavy i knew somebody who was a bit younger than me probably like maybe eight to ten years younger than me whose parent would not let them have friends because like they any friends any they weren't allowed to leave the house because of this whole paranoia the safety paranoia that's insane Uh, yeah this was how long ago like seven to ten years younger than me wow yeah i i mean just that's so that i think as but this is this, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like we're talking about the '90s, '90s, early mm-hmm. 2000s. This that's when this paranoia I think really yeah. started, uh, you know, to come into play. I mean, when I was when I was younger, like nobody wore around with like helmets and you know knee pads nope. and, and all that stuff. I mean, kids, you know, they get scraped up, but for the most part, they'd be all right. Yeah, and for the most part. Uh, yeah, and then and then they start passing these these uh, helmet laws, helmet laws, seatbelt law. You know, all of these things. Where I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but I don't necessarily think you need a law. And you certainly, I, I think it's uh, you've gone, you've just gone overboard when you're so paranoid. Yeah, I think that this uh, psychologist is correct on this one, that the constant nannying, the constant uh, surveillance, the lack of freedoms, the restrictions, uh, the rounding off of all the corners, mandating helmets, all this safetyism has absolutely had an effect on the younger generations. I think that's a good theory. Uh, It's something we've been talking about for years here on Free Talk Live. He says, in short, fear causes people to privilege psychological security over liberty. And of course, what is it that the government does best? It gives you reasons to be afraid. The government wants you to be in a state of fear because then you will turn to them as the, you know, the solution to whatever the problem is, whether it's drug dealers from the uh, the 80s and the 90s, whether it's terrorists from, you know, 2001 through 2018 or whatever. And uh, whether it's COVID from 2020 or domestic terror, quote unquote, which is the new thing now. And, oh, yeah, climate change. we got to be afraid of that. They've been pounding mm-hmm. that in on the kids for the last 20 years as well. As uh, even longer than that. Yeah, but they didn't do it like pounding when I was growing up. Like it was there maybe, no, but they it did was. In, they did in New Jersey. Did they? Yeah. I wow. mean, I, I definitely know in elementary school the climate change thing no was, kidding. was, you know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's worse now, but oh, I bet you it is. You know, it was definitely there. Yeah, I, I think it's a lot worse now than uh, than it was for you then. Let's go to the phones here. We got Tim on the line in Florida. Tim, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Chris. He said, "Lose your assets." Hmm. He's talking about he crypto. Lose your assets. What about losing um, them, though? I'm sorry. What? Oh no, you you just said lose your assets. It, it's like a Beavis and Butthead joke. Sorry, I don't remember saying it. So I, I, I don't apologize know the either. Yeah. No, it's all right. Um, actually, what I called about uh, the conversation you're talking about. Which um, one? <clears throat> well, the nanny state. Um, I think the introduction of SSRIs had a lot to do with this and like the overdiagnosing of mental disorders, probably starting in about the late 90s. Um, mm. And yeah, it basically comes from the psychiatric industry where they, they basically just... Um, <laughs> You know, once you start giving a kid um, medication for anxiety, 
and you know he's he's going to the psychiatrist every you know mm-hmm. two, once or twice a week, you know, and he's getting mollycoddled. Yeah, you know, he just he gets he gets trained, you know, basically into this industry. You know, it be, becomes almost like a religion. Um, if he accepts it, if he rejects it, he throws away his meds, and uh, he just doesn't. Comply. That's a good point. I mean, uh, you know, what your parents say to you when you're growing up is what is the truth, right? And if you are growing up with these overprotective parents that are constantly telling you you got to look out. Oh my God! You might get kidnapped, or or whatever it is that they would say. say <laughs> That's to these such kids. a rare thing. That it parents, is. It parents is. are so freaked out by kidnapping, and it it never ne- happens. It never happens. Uh, the only kidnapping that really happens is when there's like a divorce situation and the other, the parents, other parent they call it. that yeah. kidnapping yeah, yeah. so that's yeah. why you have yeah, a, you like factor a statistic, that out right you factor that out and it's it, like down yeah. to zero right yeah pretty much uh yeah somebody was saying the other day uh, about the jay noon uh, and shallon trial that we, we've been discussing on the air uh where they were charged or she was charged with quote child endangerment for leaving their two-year-old in the car air conditioning on nice day outside not hot or anything uh, yeah, low seventies. But I think we found out it was it was a high of seventy, sixty-eight or yeah. seventy or something. Like I'm surprised the air conditioning yeah. was even on, but it was. And uh, strapped into the car seat. And there's somebody online who was claiming a supposed Bitcoin libertarian in New Hampshire <laughs> was trying to like hold me to task on this, claiming that it was a danger to the child because it could be it could get out of the car seat and like drive the car, or that it could uh, you know or somehow hurt can't itself. Even- you know, reach the pedals. How is he going to drive the car? I don't think the they car? said drive it, but, you know, somehow hurt themselves yeah. in the car. I'm sorry, but... Or get kidnapped. And I was like, this is New Hampshire okay. we're talking about. Your kid's not going to get kidnapped out of a out of a car. I mean, it's just not going to happen. The car was locked. I, yes. Second of all, you, you have a situation where that maybe could happen, but wouldn't it be the parent who knows whether or not their kid is capable of getting out of the car seat? Yeah. If they're not capable of getting out of the car seat because they're strapped in, not it's, not, uh, it's not a danger. You're, you're imagining dangers that don't exist and then the danger, convicting the based that on that. Exist, What's that? I'm sorry, but the, the, the danger that does exist is the, the, the busybodies that end up calling the police. Yes. So if you right? know this, don't leave your kid in the car. Well, yeah, but maybe she thought she was in in New Hampshire where people actually respected other people's freedoms. Uh, Unfortunately, it turned out this woman who called the cops works for the police. She works for the county attorney. And so she's absolutely a total Karen. Well, and the craziest thing about this is there is no law that says you can't leave your kid in the car for a few minutes. That's true. And she didn't leave the kid in the car for any, like, length of time. Less than an hour. The car was still the car was still on. The air conditioning was still on, and her car apparently turns off after 15 minutes. It was but, a remote start, yeah. Yeah, and the if 15 you listen, to 25. If you listen to the um to the witnesses during, and I was at this trial. If you listen to the witnesses, it was anywhere between 15 and 45 minutes. They had no idea how long that no, kid they was didn't. in the car. Nope. Tim, what else did you want to share tonight? Yeah, well, that's that's why uh, even with my dog. Um, now, if I go to a rest stop on a road trip, I'll just take her into the bathroom with me or, you know, I'll try to do a curbside, uh, whatever that they call it, curbside pickup if I've got her with me in the car because somebody's going to call and then I'm going to lose my dog. And that's like the most important thing in my life. Um, only other thing I called about really was uh, I was thinking about Poloniex. Uh, the, in the old days, you could register for a Poloniex account with a fake mm-hmm. name. You know, you could just upload your BTC. Yep, this is a crypto then, exchange. Yep, crypto to crypto. Uh, yep, and they had uh, margin trading accounts. You could not go negative on them, but, yeah, I mean, you could lose everything, but 
mm-hmm. but you can margin trade, which was really exciting. You had a, a, a opportunity to make money. There. Did they get rid of that? And, yeah, they got rid of that. I think. Uh, and the other thing was you could lend to the margin traders, and that was that was virtually no that was no risk. Well, except for the risk that you put money on a crypto exchange. Hey, thanks for the call tonight, Tim. I appreciate it. Uh, The number here is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. By the way, people outside of the United States still have uh, have access to a lot of these features he's talking about, you know, the margin trading or the uh, staking services and all that stuff. It's just the people in the U.S. that are going to get screwed. More coming up. Talk Live. Phones are open. If you want to join the show, the number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Here in the studio tonight, it's Ian and Chris. And coming up later this year, our very own co-host, Mark Edge, is going to be traveling to Prague once again for the Liberty in Our Lifetime conference. It is the best place to learn about the so-called free cities projects, which purport to be self-governing territories that uphold individual rights and freedoms. Now, whether that's true or not still remains to be seen because a lot of these free cities haven't gotten off the ground. But representatives from those projects will be present uh, from the U.S., Honduras, Germany, and even Norway to share updates on their progress and explain why you should consider moving to or doing business in a free city. Mark spoke last year at the conference. He'll be speaking again this year. And if you want to attend, you can save 10% on your tickets by using code FTL. That's FTL like Free Talk Live. Just go to libertyinourlifetime.org. The event is October 14th and 15th in Prague. You can meet Mark and the rest of the Free Cities Project's people there. It should be an interesting event if that's something that you think would intrigue you. That's libertyinourlifetime.org. Code FTL saves you 10% for the event happening in Prague, October 14th and 15th. We are talking about a study done by Cato Institute looking at the CBDC, but it had an interesting question. And I want to look at the larger study here in in a few moments and see what Americans are saying about their interest in the CBDC. But apparently... Um, not quite one in three of younger Americans under the age of 30 support the idea of putting government monitoring devices, cameras specifically, into people's homes. Quote, the government installing surveillance cameras in every household in order to supposedly reduce domestic violence, abuse, and other illegal activity. Three out of ten people in the United States under the age of 30 support that. And so that's what sparked this larger conversation, Reason.com, with an interesting piece here, interviewing a psychologist, Clay Routledge, from uh, the director, he's the director of the Human Flourishing Lab at the Archbridge Institute, suspects that the safetyism that we hear about so often in the last couple of decades, maybe even the last few decades, has been what has uh, driven younger people to this uh, obsession with being safe all the time. And, of course, we saw it on wide display in the COVID situation that happened Mm. a few years ago where everyone seemed to to be obsessed with safety. It wasn't actually everyone, but it felt like it, especially in the bigger cities. And you've got, you know, parents, uh, Gen X, uh, maybe even uh, boomer parents and Gen X parents who've been trying to 
protect their children from all kinds of experiences, negative experiences like scraping their knees when they're on their <laughs> skateboard or bicycle or whatever. And just this constant overprotectionism is uh, what he says may be you know, leading people to demand more government in people's lives. And yeah, I think he might be right. It, and it's scary to think this in that people learn by doing and making mistakes. To protect yes. your child is to undermine effectively education. They're, they're, they're learning. Absolutely. Uh, making mistakes is the only way that you can actually learn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if mistakes happen to other people, maybe you can pick that up, but you really don't get it uh, until it happens to you. Yeah. I mean, I mean, basically what it comes down to is we'd like to think that we learn, you know, from other people, but it, most of the learning that we really do in life is from making our own mistakes. Which is one of the reasons why it takes so long to bring people on board with understanding the ideas of liberty, because until the government has screwed you directly, mm-hmm. it's just not the same. You nope. just don't pay as much attention. So Rowledge's concerns echoed those of Greg Lukinoff, the president of the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, and social psychologist Jonathan Haidt in The Coddling of the American Mind, which is an article published by The Atlantic in 2015 and then later expanded into a book. They delved into the then relatively new phenomenon of intolerance on college campuses for the free exchange of ideas. The roots, as they suggested, lay in overprotective child rearing that encouraged anxiety and warped culture. Quote, Stories of abducted children appeared more frequently on the news, and in 1984, images of them began showing up on milk cartons. Remember that? Oh, yeah. In response, many parents pulled in the reins and worked harder to keep their children safe. The flight to safety also happened at school, they said. The result was a vindictive protectiveness that smothered dissent and prioritized safety over liberty. And what's the old saying? I don't know if it was... uh, I think it's attributed to Jefferson, but it was somebody else. I don't know if it was uh, Ben Franklin, but those who desire uh, oh. safety over liberty will get neither. Yeah, basically. something like that. I'm sure I'm paraphrasing it somewhat. It, it, it's pretty close, what you, what you quoted. Of course, they say a uh, reason. We can't be sure this is a growing preference rather than a blip. Oh, sorry, I missed the uh, this. A 21-year-old college graduate at the time in 2015 would be 29 now which is the upper age of the cohort with the highest support for Orwellian surveillance. We may be seeing preferences for security over freedom carried forward into discussions about privacy and surveillance. Though we can't be sure it's a growing preference rather than a blip or something younger survey respondents will grow out of. Nobody seems to have thought in the past to ask Americans if they considered George Orwell's dystopian 1984 a viable blueprint for the future, so the question will have to be repeated but the data gives us something to consider. Yikes. Uh, quote, we don't know how much of this preference for security over privacy or freedom is something unique to this generation or simply the result of youth. However, there is reason to think that part of this is generational. Americans over the age of 45 have vastly different attitudes on in-home surveillance cameras than those who are younger. Well, I mean, they're installing um, youth is, in, you know, the population in general as a whole seems to be installing these cameras themselves voluntarily. If what you do you look mean at by that? The Amazon what, Ring, I think. It used oh, to be right. We're talking right. about. I mean, this isn't even something that like the government is mandating and people are doing. just happening on its own. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I mean, there may be something to the idea, though, that it's a younger person's problem and people may grow out of it, hopefully. 
that they're going to grow out of it. I mean, the old um, saying about younger people is they tend to be socialists, but then when they actually have yeah, life happen to them, they change their views. <laughs> so maybe they're just too young to realize how evil the government is, and maybe they'll figure it out as time goes on. So that's the optimistic view of this. At least one expert studying the issue agrees the surveillance survey results reveal something real and unsettling. Routledge said, I do think this new finding from Cato is just one indicator of a very real trend of Americans, and especially younger generations of Americans, prioritizing security over freedom. And I think it's a bigger issue than many realize. And the reason why it's a big issue is because the government doesn't actually make you safe. Okay, they actually put you in danger because if all of a sudden you've got a government security camera in your home watching everything you do in your living room or in other rooms, uh, they may see you doing something that you didn't think was illegal, but it turns out it is illegal. And then they send in the goon squad to come kidnap you over it. Or maybe you are doing something that you did know is illegal. You're smoking marijuana in some of the states where that's not allowed. Federally, it's not allowed uh, at this point. And so now you got federal uh, FBI agents knocking at your door, right? So, like, just because you don't think you have something to hide doesn't mean that you don't actually have something to hide from these people. And if you look at the statistics, the number of, like, no-knock raids, for example, has been going up and up and up. Sure it has. Um, and even even though they've, like, I think they've, they've in theory, put some... Um, uh, restrictions in theory, like the courts have put some restrictions on these no-knock warrants, uh, or the number of them being issued, or something to that effect. They're still doing the no-knock warrants, and then they're just, you know, lying about it, or you know, not, or, or admitting that they didn't knock, but nothing happens as a consequence. So they just keep doing them. Um, the Crypto yep. Six case, I thought they had a no-knock warrant. Turns out they didn't. It, no, they it had was an, just, an they just warrant. didn't knock. Yeah. And yet that was still, you know, totally accepted by the courts yep. and all that. Didn't matter. Uh, the number, if you want to join the show here, 603-283-6160, you can, of course, bring up anything. So here's the actual study by the Cato Institute, and the study itself wasn't about necessarily cameras in homes. That was just one question that they asked. It was about the central bank digital currency idea, the CBDC, which, of course, as we've we've seen, uh, multiple nation states around the world are implementing CBDCs. Some have actually implemented it, like Nigeria. It's a thing there. <laughs> Wasn't it a total failure? Or no, it's that still was, there. Uh, okay, I uh, might be thinking of a different. A it's different a country. failure in that no one is interested in it. So yeah, the, okay. the people of Nigeria just don't care, and they're not adopting it voluntarily. So they may end up using some coercion later to force their uh, their adoption it's of probably it. Probably wise in the population's part. Indeed. So uh, let's just say it's been a bit of a rocky road there in Nigeria for the CBDC. Now, Americans are a little more uh, well-kept, let's say. Mm. They, uh, you know, we're wealthier here in the United States. We're well-fed. You know, there, there's not uh, rampant poverty here in the United States. At least not yet. <laughs> not yet. You don't watch much news, do you? <laughs> mm, no, there's not rampant poverty in the United States. Uh, well i mean everybody's well fed here dude look at all I, the fat people i'm not disagreeing with you go you. to a trailer park and you're gonna find a ton of fat people i'm not disagreeing with you i'm just saying that at least the left wants you to believe that poverty is rampant in the united oh, states oh sure i mean the u.s definition of poverty right where just they just pick an arbitrary number uh an income number and they say anyone that has less than that number is poverty in the united states mm. but those people are still making way more money than most of the rest of the world 
is. Yeah. And those people probably have more than one television in their home, more than one smartphone <laughs> in their uh, in their family. They probably have an air conditioner and a heater, and they uh, are eating three meals a day. And they're probably eating some number of those meals out at, like, McDonald's, right? So they've got some money. They're just not spending it particularly effectively. Wisely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I can just imagine people, you know, paying for, like, their cable bill as opposed to, like, you know, feeding themselves. And then, of yeah. course, they're like, well, these people are starving. Well, they're starving because they're paying for their cable and not they're you still know, not starving, dude. They'll go to the food bank. They'll get there's yeah, plenty. Yeah, yeah. Of, there's plenty of food. Look at all the fat, poor people in America. I mean, that's a perfect example of how well-fed Americans are. There's a ton of food here, at least for now. Now, maybe things will change, as they did in Venezuela, when hyperinflation hits, where the people in Venezuela were eating three meals a day, and then in recent years, it went down Not to so two much. meals a day. Yeah, yeah. Right? And the meals aren't what they used to be. So, well, the time you get your paycheck, and, and this is, yeah. I think, people, what people don't understand is, in Venezuela, right, this is a socialist country, mm-hmm. by the time you get your paycheck... The money isn't worth anything. It's not worth as much as it was. That's for sure. So that could happen here. When it will happen here remains to be seen. So for right now, Americans are fat and they're, you know, they're okay. I mean, they're starting to feel a pinch of inflation that's starting to frustrate people. They're they're having to make, you know, buying decisions that they haven't made before. Uh, Americans are giving up on some of the name brands and going to the store brands and they're cutting costs and getting smaller quantities of things. So people are adjusting to the inflation that is happening. But again, we're not skipping meals quite yet. Not yet. So according to the Cato survey here on CBDCs, they asked questions about, do you even know what this is, right? Like who, that's why whenever we use the term, I always spell it out, central bank oh, digital yeah. currency. The average person does not know what these things are. And that's what this so, survey And found. even if you spell it out, do people know what the central bank digital currencies are? No, of course not. So we should, we have to explain it. <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, a, a central bank currency is like the dollar or the euro or one of these things that are issued by a central bank. In our case, it's called the Federal Reserve. And uh, the central bank, of course, is the reason why we have inflation, because they print out more money into existence and or they increment zeros and numbers in a computer system that makes more digital money. And the CBDC is essentially the idea of taking the dollar as we know it, and taking it out of the hands of the banks. Now, this would this is one proposal. How this will end up being implemented remains to be seen because the banks don't want to lose their their control. But it would put it uh, put accounts in the hands for uh, individual accounts in the hands of the Federal Reserve. So, like right now, the Federal Reserve deals with big banks. They be, deal with bankers. They deal with governments. But you don't have an account at the Federal Reserve. This would essentially give you an account with the Federal Reserve through some sort of app on your phone and give them uh, total control over how you can spend your so money. So are you telling me that instead of having a Visa card, I'd have GovCard? You probably wouldn't even have a card. I don't know how it would end up being implemented. They they would probably want you to have but some sort of But it would be something akin to that, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that gives the government more ability to monitor your transactions instantly rather than having to apply for a warrant or call up the bank and ask them for it. So they would just have that right there at the Federal Reserve. Put restrictions on your ability to have certain transactions. You drank one too many sodas this month. Right. Yep. Or if you're on a welfare program, they would restrict where and when or whatever you could spend the the welfare money, that kind of thing. 
So those are some of the things they could do. And, of course, they could cut you off entirely if they wanted to as well. They could freeze your account with one fell swoop. They could empty the account uh, if they wanted to. Total control. So with that, here is uh, the story from Cato.org. While regularly Americans use digital dollars via credit cards, debit cards, and other digital platforms, those dollars are a liability of a private commercial bank that issued them. CBDC would be a liability of the government central bank or the Federal Reserve, and therefore it would create a direct link between citizens and the government's central bank. Twice as many Americans today oppose the Federal Reserve offering a central bank digital currency as Americans that favor it. So it's 34% of Americans who oppose the CBDC and 16% who favor the CBDC. So we're talking about 50% total having even an opinion about this. 49% of Americans do not have an opinion about the CBDC, and that likely stems from the fact that only 28% of Americans are familiar with CBDCs, which I'm surprised it's even that high. Yeah. And 72% are completely unfamiliar with the CBDC. Yeah. Three out of 10, roughly, of America, th- sorry, three out of uh, four Americans don't know what a CBDC is. I suspect nearly as many Americans don't even understand that the U.S. dollar doesn't even have any backing on it. You know, the the, yeah. the financial intelligence of the average American is very, very low. Yeah, I, you know, it's amazing. Um, I I've actually talked to people who don't under who, who don't understand or can't cannot comprehend that the dollar they by holding dollars they lose value, value. every single year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't teach that in school. It's not prices going up, really. It's it's basically money being stolen from you through that's right. money printing, through that's, inflation. That's what inflation is. It's, it's the, government doing that. It's, it's not businesses doing that. The right. businesses are just reacting to the money printing that the government is doing. But the government will lie to you and tell you that it's the evil corporate companies seeking profits. That's why, quote, inflation is happening. They'll tell you every lie they can possibly concoct to get you to think inflation is something other than them just printing more money into existence. Yep. Yeah, and if you yeah, and it's it's interesting because they they do it through the inflation is a result of different things that the government does, but one of those examples besides the money printing is things like under Trump they introduced a tariff and mm-hmm. uh 25% on goods from China. Well, that's about 13% overall. At Walmart, when you go to buy stuff, it's increased wow. the price by about 13%. So Right, and then throw inflation on top of that, yep. and mm-hmm. you got a real nasty situation. Yep. Now, when you break it down demographically, Republicans are more likely uh, to oppose than Democrats. Strong majorities of both Democrats and Republicans are, of course, unfamiliar with CBDCs, but Republicans are slightly more familiar with 34% of them being aware of them, and Democrats 25%, um, independents also 25%. But Democrats are twice, almost twice as inclined, 22% of Democrats, to support adopting the CBDC than Republicans at 11%. Interestingly, a majority, that is 53% of Republicans, oppose the CBDC, while most Democrats don't have an opinion, and 22% of them are opposed. Now, I wonder if the Republicans would change their tune if it was a Republican president who was talking about implementing a CBDC. I'd be surprised if the, if the, the Republicans... I think what might be holding the Republicans back is they don't quite understand that they can control you more 
with a central bank digital currency. Well, they don't want the Democrats to control them more, which is why they're likely more likely to be against that's it. That's true. Right but that's why when they're in power, they probably would support it. That's more, what I'm saying. And the Democrats yeah. would be more in opposition. Yeah, I suspect we're going to see a flipping on that if, yeah. uh, if a Republican gets elected I suspect you're right. to president. Uh, let's see. What else do you need to know about this here? Men are apparently more likely than women to support the CBDC. Strangely, 22% of men versus 11% of women supporting a CBDC. Why do you think that is? I mean, that's a pretty significant difference. I mean, women have been like taught to hate technology and hate learning, I think. Um, just, hmm. I think that's kind of been the historic, uh, you know? Yeah, but women are on their phones as much as, uh, you know, or at least younger women are on their phones as much as younger men. So. Yeah, but they're not looking at stocks and bonds. They're, mm-hmm. you know, looking at, I don't know, pictures of, I don't know. Clothes, <laughs> yeah, you don't clothes. know you're a gay man. I, yeah, right. Like, what do I know what women, uh, you know, are looking at on their phones? Yeah, I mean, some of them are looking at clothes, and that's certainly true. Uh, apparently, black Americans are more than uh, likely as white Americans. 32% uh, black Americans, 13% of white Americans to support the CBDC and are more likely than Hispanic Americans at 20% to support it. Young Americans, here we go, are about 10 times more supportive of a CBDC than seniors. Nearly a third of people under the age of 30, that's 32%, support the CBDC compared to uh, 25% of 30 to 44-year-olds, 8% of 45 to 64-year-olds, and 3% of Americans over 65. Uh, what was the percentage that understood what central bank digital currency was in the first place? Um, that would be... Because that number was really low, wasn't it? Yeah, 28%. So yeah, people one support, out of four. So people are supporting things they don't even understand what it is that they're supporting. Well, I think they're talking about the ones that support it. So when, they, when they're when they looking at the numbers mm-hmm. of the people who support the CBDC, they're talking about the ones that Only the people who understand it. it. Yeah. Okay. I think. Um, although they obviously did make the people in the survey aware of this uh, this issue, and so they uh, they started asking them questions about, like, letting them know what a CBDC could do. The fact that the CBDC could be used to control your purchases. The fact that the CBDC could be used to shut down your ability to make purchases. The things we were just discussing. Mm-hmm. And they started to see that people would be more likely to oppose the CBDC once they learn about... The potential. So the survey investigated how Americans navigate potential costs and benefits associated with the United States adopting the CBDC. Overwhelming majorities would oppose the adoption of the CBDC if it meant the government could control what people spend their money on. 74% of Americans said, no, we don't want a CBDC if it can do what you're saying here. And that is restrict what you can buy. You know what's going to happen is they're going to pass it. And then, of course, it can't be changed. Oh, right. So, yeah. yeah, you might be object- objecting to it, but it's too late. Yeah, they're going to shove it down your throat yeah. at that point. And not any of these people, uh, you know, I know Ron DeSantis, for instance, out of Florida, has been making a bunch of political hay opposing, quote unquote, the CBDC. And they passed some bill down in Florida that supposedly, uh, what was the terminology? It, it, they didn't make it illegal, but they were acting like that they were somehow damaging like prohibiting the cbdc when in reality according to uh, to aaron day who is uh, the republican candidate out of new hampshire the free stater who's running for office he said the bill actually all it does is it just simply exempts the cbdc from the uh the uniform uniform commercial code 
So therefore, it means that the UCC, the Uniform Commercial Code in Florida, doesn't protect people using the CBDC. That's all. It doesn't make it illegal. It doesn't mean that the CBDC is prohibited uh, in the state of Florida. And they couldn't do that under the federal government anyway. They would have to secede from the United States if they want to get out from underneath the CBDC. So it's all politics. And the politician clearly doesn't want that. Of course not. (laughs) He wants to be the president is what that guy wants. So don't believe him for a moment when he acts like he's opposed to the CBDC. Uh, It's just political. They're using it as a a political football. So they say that 74% of Americans oppose the CBDC if it means government could control what people spend their money on. 68% of Americans oppose the CBDC if the government could monitor their spending. And uh, 68% also oppose the CBDC if it would mean that the government would abolish cash. 65% say the CBDC... Uh, or that the CBDC could attract cyber attacks, so 65% would oppose it for that reason. 64% would oppose it. Really? If the government cyber attacks, if the cyber government attacks could charge a tax on those who oh don't God. spend money during recessions. So basically, the the more you tell people about the CBDC, the more likely they are to oppose the CBDC. So that's the good news from this particular survey. But of course, as you pointed out, Chris. You know, it doesn't matter sometimes what the people want. Like we saw with the the, the Bearcat here. Are, yeah, people are ignorant. Here in New Hampshire. Well, even the people weren't ignorant of the Bearcat. They they opposed it like 80 to 90 percent. But the city council went ahead and voted for it. They voted for a tank to have, you know, the police have it. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. Phones are open here if you want to join the show. The number is 603-283-6160 as we kick off the third hour of the program here tonight. Ian and Chris, we are discussing a survey or study done by the Cato Institute looking at Americans and their opinions, if they have any at all, about the so-called central bank digital currency or the CBDC. And uh, this is uh, something that is sort of out there, potentially on the horizon somewhere, as the federal government thugs are considering adopting the CBDC technology. They're looking over at other countries like China or Nigeria, where they are either in the process of adopting or have adopted uh, the CBDC. I think there's something like seven countries where it's either available, it's now, it's, it's happening, or it's like coming soon. The gears are turning towards releasing the CBDC, which would, of course, give government total economic control over the people of those countries. And, you know, you expect that from China, for instance. And the United States, of course, would love to have that ability as well. Now, here they're going to have to be a little more careful about it. You know, they're not going to just be able to they're not going to just roll out the CBDC and then pull cash. Cash, cash isn't just going to disappear right away. Ooh. They're not going to. That would cause yeah, a, that would cause an uproar. You know, you're you're probably right, but they have already withdrawn larger denominated uh, bills. That was years know? ago, but yes, they did do that. Uh, what was that? I don't know, forty years or more. I mean, I don't remember ever seeing 
large denomination bills. Me as either. A, as a I don't kid. necessarily know they existed in my lifetime, even. Yeah. Um, but they did exist. And they did. Five hundred and one thousand uh-huh. dollar yep. bills used mm-hmm. to be a thing. And of course, they use drug dealing as the uh, the excuse that's, to get rid of those. That's where it starts. Yeah. But now you can't even have a, do a transaction that's uh, over six hundred dollars without it being reported to the government. Yep, that's a a recent change. So they talked to people in this survey, asking them their opinions about the CBDC again, central bank digital currency. And not surprisingly, most Americans didn't know anything about it. They'd never heard about it. There's uh, it was roughly three quarters of Americans that said. They didn't know anything about the CBDC, uh, 72% to be exact, and only 20, 28% of Americans were familiar with the CBDC. And how familiar they are, I don't think we got into that detail. But then they did explain to the people on the, uh, the survey you know, what the CBDC is, what are the things that could be done with the CBDC. And by the way, Democrats are more likely to accept the idea of the CBDC just by default without learning anything about it. However, when informed of the fact that a CBDC could allow the government to control what they spend their money on and when, 74% of Americans then decided they don't like the idea (laughs) of the CBDC. And in fact, both Democrats and Republicans don't like that idea. 71% of Democrats and 82% of Republicans would oppose the CBDC if the government could control what people spend their money on. So that's, again, a little bit of good news here. Although, Chris, you're skeptical that it's going to matter when it comes down to it, right? Because the government's, yeah. if the government just says they want to do a CBDC, well, what are the people going to do about it? Yep. You know? I mean, you could try to refuse to adopt the CBDC. I mean, that would be a potential thing that you can oh, do initially. Just, just continue cash like uh, they did in India. Well, have they... I don't think they've discontinued uh, cash. I think bills over like a dollar have been discontinued. Right. So that's the question is how, what are the tactics that they're going to use to disincentivize the use of cash? And that's one of them. When you need a wheelbarrow right, to buy lunch, you're probably not going to use cash anymore. Well, that's a good point, right? So we know inflation's happening. Yep. Uh, and so we've seen what happened in Venezuela, for instance, with hyperinflation, where it literally did get to the point, where, and it is to the point, where the cash is so valueless that they're actually using it to, like, make things out of. You could go into the streets in Venezuela, and from, like, a street vendor, you could buy a purse or a wallet literally made from the Venezuelan Bolivar. In which you could then put things, right? You got a purse made out of Boulevard. They were weaving. And it's worth more than the dollars it was it was made from. Yeah, yeah, because somebody took the time to make it. <laughs> right. Thing. But it's it's weaved um, baskets, you know, weaved uh, handcrafted goods were being made from the Venezuelan Boulevard. Uh, I mean, so it's just It was so worthless that, yes, you would need stacks and stacks of it to simply go out to eat at a restaurant. And, of course, as you pointed out, it's uh, it was to the point where... If you went into a bar and you bought one beer and then you drank that beer and then you bought a second beer, the second beer would cost more than the first beer because and the price had gone up. You know, you, you know, the uh, the thing with the whole, you know, outlawing cash thing, it's that what they'll probably do if I had to speculate here is they know inflation's happening. Right. Right. So they probably will simply, you know, ban a hundred dollars. They'll get rid of a hundred dollar bills or fifty dollar bills. Yep. And then in a couple of years from now. It's going to take, you know, 50 
you know, 50 bills in order mm-hmm. to buy lunch. And at some point, it's it's going to be unmanageable. Well, it already costs 40 or 50 bucks to buy lunch. It does, but we do have, you know, uh, we do have uh, $20 bills and we do have we do, we 50 do. and $100 bills. Still. Yeah. No, I think you're right about that. I think they're going to get rid of uh, the higher denomination bills. That's an easy thing for them to right. do. And they'll use they'll use the excuse of yeah, drug same dealers. Excuse. Yeah. Right. And then people say, oh, OK, well, you got to do it. And then it'll take it'll take them some time. Right. Because it takes them time to suck the old bills out of circulation. So it's like whenever somebody goes into a bank, they turn in 50s yep. and 100s and they don't come and back out. There's some other things they'll do, too. Um, and they've already started, actually. Uh, they now charge a they charge a fee a percentage if a uh, business goes to deposit cash mm-hmm. that's so right they're they're discouraging businesses from depositing cash yeah great point uh so i think you're going to see more of that and you'll also see disincentivization in other ways so uh for instance if you are going to get a government payment maybe there's going to be some sort of uh ubi the uh the income tax refu- uh, refunds welfare checks yep some sort of government payment you know they're going to make that a mandate like if you want the money from the government then you're gonna have to have the government app certainly if you want it fast maybe yeah maybe they'll still give people the opportunity to get it in a different way but they don't have to and then eventually they'll discontinue the the other option method yeah Yeah. so that's another thing they're going to do they're going to incentivize people and, to get out of the dollar. You know, interestingly enough, I've, I've already dollar. seen this happen. Um, mm-hmm. If you look at businesses um, and like doing like filing paperwork with the government, um, there are certain things that you cannot do as a business or you cannot do as a business if you have more than, you know, X employees or X dollars in, in revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to file electronically. Yeah, that makes sense. If you don't have a computer, then you got to hire an accountant that does, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're going to go to your phone calls here. Uh, your thoughts are certainly welcome, but this is something that they are absolutely considering doing, the CBDC, and uh, I think it's probably going to be coming whether people like it or not. And that, of course, you know, leads to the question of what can you do about this? Well, I know. I know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Goldbacks. Cryptocurrency, goldbacks, these are going to be some alternative options that are going to be very difficult for them to stop people from using. They're they're trying to stop cryptocurrency, and uh, hopefully they will fail in their their mission. But we can talk more about that coming up here. Let's talk to Sarah first. She's in New Mexico. Go ahead, Sarah. Sarah in New Mexico going once. Sarah in New Mexico going twice. All right. Let's try this caller. Uh, We've got David Butt on the line in New Mexico. Go ahead, Mr. Butt. What'd you call me, dude? Mr. Butt. You called me David Butt. I, yes. How do, you, how do you get from major pain in the butt to David Butt? Would you prefer what just kind of Mr. Butt? Would that be uh, preferable to you? How, well, how do you well, I thought my uh, rank and title was major. How do you get Mr. out of major? No, you got to earn major. Not, no, 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 no. The original major pain certainly hasn't earned major. I think he how has. I, earn it? I think he has. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just kidding, Major. Don't get all worked up. So anyway, how, so so I can start calling uh, Mr. James Baker, James Baker, then, huh? Who? James Baker. I don't know who you're talking about. Arya Demezzo, aka. Oh, you're dead naming. Uh, you're dead naming. Well, Arya. you're dead naming me, dude. Yeah. So, uh, Major Pain in the butt. Okay, so moving. Show on. me. Show me um, your driver's license with that on it. 
Uh, is it on? Is it on uh, James? Is Aria Demezzo on James Baker's driver's license? Aria Demezzo is on Aria Demezzo's driver's license. Oh, but not on. Okay, so not on James Baker's anymore. Okay. Anyway, so um, the the things you're talking about uh, could all be solved, and I think they will at some point because um, people are starting to catch on uh, by stating the fact that the government that you have is illegal. They're not legitimate, and they're afraid you're going to find out. So you're talking about inflation. Our government has no legal right to control what tools you use to transfer wealth. All money is, all currency is, is a tool, like a hammer, mm-hmm. to do a job. And that's so. instead of having to tote around a whole uh, cartload of cabbages to trade for, uh, uh, you know, whatever you want to, whatever, whatever you want to trade for, you use something fungible, you know, like your cryptocurrency, your gold backs, or your U.S. dollar, and and government has no legal authority you know, to tell you. Huh? I, I think I think from a moral perspective, I would 100% agree with you. Mm-hmm. I, I think from a practical perspective, they've already said that they do. Um, the feds yeah, have they, gone after yeah, so do. many people for developing the tools, for uh, making them available, and, and for even just using the tools. Right. What what is what does a gang do? They intimidate mm-hmm. and they bully and and they and they uh, they damage and they uh, injure and they kill. That's that's what a gang does. The U.S. government is, is like I said, they're not they're not legal. They're organized crime. That's right. And they've and they've got yeah, and they've gotten away with it. You know, going back 100, 150, 200 years by and and they just implement step after step after step. And each time they put something in, like you know, an income tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a Federal Reserve, they all they got to do is shut people up for a generation until the punks come along, like the ones you talk about, you know, Gen Z or whatever you're talking about, um, that think that it's always been that way and yeah. it's legal, mm. you know, and they just wait for the old farts to die and, sh- you know, so they're shut up. And then, oh, now we got the Internet so we can get rid of, uh, uh, we don't have, we can change what, what it says in books, mm-hmm. uh, at least the digital ones. Right, right. the and Ministry of Truth. Are- yeah, and how many people are holding, you know, 50 or 100 or 150-year-old books in, in their house to read and see what was fact and truth 100 years ago? How many, how many people have a 100-year-old book in their house? Not Very as few. many as, as yeah. used to. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, let me add also that um, uh, a lot of that, you know, I, uh, I'm no expert on anything, you know, well, maybe one or two things, but not on this stuff. But, but I do hear people who would be, taken as experts on media in recent years saying things that I've said, uh, you know, five or 10 years ago. And um, one fun one that I like a lot because it's my viewpoint is I heard a guy who is a, he's a, he actually was a 30 year law enforcement dude. And he says that we are now at the point where the only solution to this mess is one or two, either a, and this is authorized by the U.S. Constitution, either a military tribunal takes out the illegal government <laughs> and restores, or, yeah, either, or, and he, or we As have though the military rebel. itself isn't, you know, a violent group he, he of covered, government he covered, he covered that. He covered that. He covered that. And he, on that subject, what he said is that the general officers, the generals, are all political. And That's they correct. won't do it. But the junior officers that are below the rank of general who watch their friends die for nothing all over the world, 
they will take out this government. And the military tribunal is not run by generals. Yeah. It's, run, it's run by the junior officers. Yeah, don't hold your breath. And what so, was the second option? Sec- the second option is we have a revolution, and, and I think and I'm going to correct him on that because technically it would not be a revolution be- because uh, a, a revolution would be overthrowing a legitimate government. This is not a legitimate government. This would be the legitimate government trying to push out organized crime. Yeah, there's another option, which is uh, peaceful secession. So, I mean, I understand why people like to tout revolution, but the reality is it's a yeah, violent me, I gotta, act. I got to come back. I got to come back for that one too. Hmm. It's you know secede. So one state at a time, or you know, or however, however many times secede, um, and and get out of the house that is the United States. Right. And my attitude is, this is my house. You get out, especially since you're illegal. Government. Yeah. Well, I wish you the best of you luck know, with that I, approach. <laughs> I don't know about the illegal or not. I think that's a terrible argument to make because. What's legal is whatever the government says it is. Well, yeah, they don't um, think they're illegal. It's immoral. No, 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 it's a no, moral no, issue no, here, not guys. That's not how it works. I think you're living well, in a tell fantasy. It to, a tell fantasy, it to the judge. Yeah, fantasy land here. If you if you think otherwise, um, I think the best yeah, thing we have judge, going for us is I'm, is that the moral thing is 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 what they're doing is wrong, and, and that's why it should go away. Not not because it's some it's illegal. Mm, yeah, that's a great point. Well, well, I would argue I would argue that they're one and the same. All right, thank you for the call tonight. The number here is 603-283-6160. The reality is, if you're going to try a revolution, okay, that always comes with violence, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's not really a, a peaceful way to do what he was hinting at there, mm-hmm. right? He literally was talking about overthrowing the yeah, government, sure. okay? That means you have to use violence. And they are ready for you, okay? Yeah. They are prepared for this. They have their guns. They have their troops they have their FBI agents. They have their agents infiltrating your groups as we speak. There's not enough people willing to do that. They have to fabricate them. They have to create people yes. in, order, in order to have enough uh, employment in yeah. order to sustain their employment. There's a good chance if there was a, quote, revolution attempt in the United States that it would be mostly federal agents yeah. that were doing it. Kind of like the January 6th thing, which wasn't a revolution. It was just some people yeah. touring uh, the Capitol without permission. But as it turns out, it looks like the federal agents were involved in uh, setting that up, too. So they set the thing up and then they take down as many of the participants as they possibly I mean, there's, can. There's, there's actual video of them letting people in, yeah. letting the crowds in. Yeah. I, I don't even know like <laughs> how anybody could believe that the courts are not entirely like uh, just they're just a joke as far as like dealing some sort of um you know, uh, sense, I guess some, some sort of like justice, I guess, mm-hmm. I guess is the choice word. Um, you know, it, it, they don't, they don't do, they don't provide justice. They, nope. they, it's, it's, it's one big joke. And then you got the, remember the story of the Michigan governor who they were going to like kidnap her or whatever during COVID. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. I remember that. You know who was involved with that, right? Oh, yeah. The FBI. <laughs> yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it, you know, and the, the thing is, you know, people might be thinking like, I, I, I'm I, a January 6th supporter. I'm not. I, I didn't vote for, for Trump. I would never vote for Trump. Right. <laughs> you know, it's it, but I'm coming at I'm not coming at it from a Democrat or Republican perspective because I'm a libertarian. So right. it's like I, I, I can see I can see what's happening. Yeah. And that that's the other problem with a revolution, even if you could pull it off. 
which you're not. I mean, they got again, they got all kinds it, it's of terrible. Guns. It's a terrible uh, strategy. Yeah. Even if you could pull it off, well, then you're just talking about replacing the existing thugs with a new set of thugs. Mm. The people that are going to be uh, leading that particular revolution are the ones who are going to be seeking power when it's all said and done. And they're not going to be liberty-loving people, right? Most no. liberty people just want to be left alone. I, you know, I think this is an interesting point you're, you're sort of getting into here um, about why I think uh, independence in New Hampshire – like I don't think just independence in and of itself is going to have any um, positive impact pretty much anywhere in the world except if you combine it with a migration. Yes. Yeah, that's you right. Know? You have to have both parts. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's a migration of liberty-minded people, libertarians, voluntarists, liberty-loving anarchists coming to New Hampshire who could then foment a – not a revolution, but a secession, a peaceful secession, a declaration of independence from the United States saying, all right, we tried this. We're out. Okay? We're just going our own separate way. We're going to be over here doing our thing in New Hampshire. We're going to be free. We're going to let – you know, we're freer than any other place on the planet. Mm-hmm. We still have a terrible state government that we have to deal with, but it's not as bad as the rest of the state governments. New Hampshire yeah. is currently the number one most free state, according to the Cato Institute uh, Freedom of the 50 State Study. And we will be more free without the federal government on our backs. Instantly, we'll be more free yep. without that. You know, I think some of the, I think there's some of the fears that people have with independence, um, especially people when we're talking Fear about like, the unknowns, the uh, number one unknowns for yeah. sure. Um, but I think people don't understand what an independent uh, states or independent states could look like. Right. Like like we have this idea that if New Hampshire became independent, that there would be border guards and you have to have a passport in order to cross between New Hampshire and Massachusetts or, you know, uh, Maine or whatever. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, mm. There's lots of uh, countries that do not have border guards or passport checks when traveling between countries. This is something mm. that in, in fact, this is actually something that's uh, a modern invention. I believe uh, World War One or World War World II. World War Two, I think, is when the passport um, came around. Right. So, you know, this idea that like that's less than a hundred years ago. Uh, right. Like yeah. this is this isn't a modern invention. It doesn't have to be that way. Um nothing says that, oh, there has to be border checks, you know, for for trade. Um, you know, th- these are all things that have been um, you know, implemented, but it it doesn't have to be that way. And there's a lot of examples out there where it's not that way. I think that um, I agree with you, and I hope that that's the direction things go. I think that's going to be a major, major issue. It's going to be a very difficult thing, right? Because secession isn't necessarily something that is supported by just libertarians. While in a recent study that was done, which you can go to nhexit.us. In fact, I don't think we've even really talked about the study. We haven't talked about uh, the study? I don't think so. Uh, on Free Talk Live, really? No, I, I don't think we have. I mentioned it, but I don't think I got into the details. But in this recent study that was done by the uh, survey, well, sorry, not Survey USA, it was last year. Then we changed the study group to the UNH, the University of New Hampshire. Uh, one of the things that they were looking at here is. Sorry, I completely lost my train of thought of the thing that I was going to pull up from uh, from the study. <laughs> uh, you know, they were looking at various different things. They're looking at uh, four questions about independence, and 
one question was, if New Hampshire were not already part of the United States, would you want New Hampshire to join? Another was, would you support or oppose New Hampshire peacefully seceding from the United States and governing itself as a separate country? And would you support or oppose the idea of New Hampshire holding a vote to find out whether voters want New Hampshire to peacefully declare independence from the United States? So there was some pretty important questions uh, that were being asked in this particular survey, and maybe we should talk about it a little bit more coming up here. Maybe I'll remember the thing that I wanted to point out specifically about this. Um, But if you want to join the show, you can here. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. So, oh, I remember where I was going. People who support independence don't necessarily support freedom. And uh, that's an important issue. We can flesh that out coming up here in a moment. And you can join the show as well here on Free Talk Live. Check Chris out on his show. It's called Freedom Decrypted. He does it once a week from his studio at the Think Penguin Studios over at thinkpenguin.com. You can get uh, some Linux-based computer products. You guys just got some fresh laptops in, as yeah, I understand. Yeah, it's been a while, but uh, we are finally... Are those available for sale right now? Yes, they okay. are now on the website. Very exciting. And, uh, You've been working it, hard on this. It, oh, yeah. Have we ever? It, it took like six months for us to finally come out with a laptop that is not garbage because <laughs> the industry has gone in a direction that is... is Oh, man. Like, like they moved antennas from the screen to under the laptop at, for the Wi-Fi, That's which interferes plan. with the reception. Yeah, um, yeah, big time. And this is like just industry standard now. So doesn't make any sense. In order to like deviate from like the direction the rest of the industry is mm-hmm. going, we have to have like all sorts of special different changes to like yeah. you like had to do your own custom design everything, yeah right? like more customization than we normally would have had to have done and and so we basically have the only laptops that aren't garbage that's amazing so if <laughs> we you... only have one at the moment but <laughs> one model different configurations but one model yeah. but yeah so if you care about quality you got to get over to thinkpenguin.com check out the uh, the new laptop they got in there and you're doing uh, your own show it's called freedom decrypted it's every saturday it happens live at 5 p.m eastern time but if you can't watch live you can also listen later or watch it later podcast video downloads all available freedomdecrypted.com it's for people that are into technology and freedom yes right? all right let's go to skeeter we can talk more about the independence uh, survey here in a moment but skeeter is on the line calling us uh, you're on free talk live go ahead yeah hey, i just wanted to say that uh i think uh your libertarian well your strategy for secession and uh, the libertarian movement in general is a doomed to failure. Okay. No Why one is that? believes. Uh, no one believes that uh, aggression is inherently evil, or that the non-aggression principle. Well, there is are evil. people who so believe you'll, you'll, that. That's those are libertarians. Yeah. So this, it's not true that no <laughs> sorry, one yeah. believes that. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean no one, but uh, the majority of people, majority yeah. of rational people. You're, you're right about that. that. Um, you're I, right. I don't know. They're, about no, the... they're not rational, but the yeah, the majority of yeah. people are definitely okay with aggression, and that's why uh, we have a migration happening of freedom-minded people who are coming here to New Hampshire. And you know whether you're aware of it or not, Skeeter, the libertarians here are an actual force to be reckoned with 
on the political scene. We've got oh, they liber- ever. we've got libertarians elected to uh, state representative seats. We got the first free stater, uh, New Hampshire senator last year, and uh, they know that we're yeah, here, I, and they are very concerned. I don't get that either. Huh? I, that strategy doesn't make sense. You guys often preach that uh, democracy doesn't work, right? So why are you trying to fix it through the democracy system? I don't know what you mean. I, well, I that's the system we have. We don't you, have a choice you, or control over what the system is. Democracy we, may be immoral, but it is the system we're forced into. Right. So, yeah, we're willing to work within the system. So you're trying to make the system work, right? That's well, the system sucks. No, I mean, the system doesn't work, but that's why we have a migration so that we can un- sort of undermine it in a sense. Yeah, I mean, the, the reality yeah. is the system is there. People believe in it. So we're going to use the system. I mean, there are some anarchists who refuse to vote and don't uh, participate in the system at all. But a lot of us uh, believe that whatever it takes to achieve more liberty in our lifetime, we're going to do it. So maybe you've confused us with some, you know, anarchist types that don't vote. That's that's not who we are. No, I just uh, I, I'm pretty sure you guys think democracy doesn't work, right? But, I think you just uh, said that a moment ago. It, it and doesn't I think work we, well. It, yeah. Just because it's the best system you know, out there doesn't mean it works well. Democracy is two wolves and a sheep deciding on dinner. It's an immoral system, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't function. I mean, obviously— so you, You're just people, saying you need the right people in place for democracy to work, right? No. Uh, I think most of us would be against the idea of democracy. I think we want to abolish the state entirely. But in order to end the state's control over people's lives, you have to do a couple of things. One, you have to change people's minds about the need for the state. And two, you have to somehow end the state uh, in its current form. I mean, the assumption is that you need the state to, you know, to exist or to function as a society. And that's not necessarily the case. There's lots of examples um, of solutions that could and, you know, in some cases have replaced the state systems. So um, there were there was insurance, you know, before governments got into the business of, you know, uh, medicine, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you have Canada and you have a lot of Europe that has a single system that's garbage, but, um, you know, they have it, right? Um, so it's not like in the United States doesn't have that system exactly, but we still have a, a kind of a messed up system. But it doesn't have to be uh, where a system where the government has total and utter control. There are other solutions to problems. Um, cryptocurrency is another example. It doesn't. The government doesn't have to issue crypto or have to issue a currency. You can have a cryptocurrency. You can also have other currencies that are minted that are not done by government. There's the gold back as an example. There were coins, silver and gold coins, before governments got into uh, mm-hmm. minting coins. I, I do believe anyway. Um, yep. So it's it's not like the system has to be orchestrated by a monopoly on violence. Yeah, but uh, well, uh, small point aside. I mean, I, I don't think insurance is a stable system, just like fractional reserve uh, currency. Uh, but you're anyways, saying you think have, fractional reserve think is stable, or is as in, as uh, unstable as insurance? Yes, but yeah, the same. Yeah, I think they're inherently unstable both systems. Okay, well, but the good news is, is uh, you don't have to buy insurance in an air, in a place where government's not forcing you to. Yeah, we don't even have yeah. uh, mandatory car insurance in New Hampshire. I actually may agree with you that insurance isn't necessarily the best uh, the best system out. out oh no, there, definitely not. Yeah, I just wanted to address that little point. But my bigger point is that your movement's doomed to fail because. Uh, it's already succeeded. I, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, what uh, when you say it's doomed to fail? What would um, what would prove to you that it had succeeded? What you know? What's uh, what things happening 
what criteria do you have to decide whether it has failed or succeeded or succeeded? Because the not aggression principle is not inherently moral. That did not answer my question. I'm asking you for specific things that you could look at. What kind of results would you need to see or the lack thereof those results to prove one way or the other? It's very funny for an anarchist to uh, ask for me to point out examples about the system not working or working. That's not what I asked you for either. I asked you for criteria. You said this movement will be a failure. Not criteria. No, I'm asking you for a criteria. You said the movement would fail, and I said, what criteria do you have that you would determine whether it has failed or it has succeeded? I I don't understand. Either you're asking for an example (laughs) or you're asking for a reason. Inherently, why? In order to to know something has succeeded, you have to be able to measure it, right? So the criteria in this case could be, for instance, hold on, Skeeter. You you asked for this, so I'm going to explain it better to you. Uh, The criteria could be, for instance, that people are getting elected who are libertarians. Would that be an, an example of success or would that be an example of failure? I I, uh, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear the there first There are part. people who are getting elected in New Hampshire who are libertarians. Would yeah, that be an okay. example of success, or would that be evidence of failure? I don't think either uh, of your movement. I, I don't think either. Well, then you're. So I'm, I mean, I'm, you're just a moron. I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. Let me just establish that I'm also an anarchist, right? I'm could have fooled me. Market anarchist. <laughs> What's that? You could have fooled me. Well, okay, so just let me establish that so you guys know where I'm coming from. You don't uh, wrongly think that, you know, I'm just a normal guy who believes in democracy, right? I, I'm a type of free market. I'm a type of market anarchist that doesn't believe in the democracy. I think it's one of the most dangerous things out there. Also, I And you also don't believe that your viewpoint will ever take hold and that it could ever do anything. Meaningful. I'm sorry, when you're, ta- you're interrupting me when I, I couldn't hear the first part when you're interrupting me. I'm just trying to clarify what you're saying here. You're saying you support market anarchy, but you also don't believe that it could ever succeed. No, I don't think uh, your type of anarchy with the foundation of the non-aggression principle can succeed. It's, it's a total, it's a, it's totally statist in its roots. Okay, and so it, how are you? Trolling not, us. Yeah, how are you going anarchy. to uh, achieve market? He anarchy? seemed to not even understand or know the terminology how, that he was using. Would, yeah, what's your plan, dude? I'm if sorry, ours, if our plan is so terrible, what's yours? Say that again. If our plan is so terrible, what is your plan, sir? Is to work within the system to destroy it, work with its weaknesses to and and accentuate it. Use I thought you just told us that working within the, the system is corrupt and not going to I'm sorry, succeed. I'm, I'm being interrupted like every time. Like I, I can't listen. Well, you make a statement I'm... and then I have a question about it. Okay, so you're you saying can't, you can't even make me uh, let me finish. Like and then go ahead. Pause because I, I, I now I lost my train of thought. We're, okay, just ask a question. Well, you were trying to explain how you working within the system is somehow principled and good compared to us working within the system to try to achieve liberty. Yeah. yeah. So let me just uh, say, I don't think the government uh, the, or democracy in particular, it doesn't work because it's inefficient. And that's other than immoral, it being like the monopoly on uh, aggression or whatever you, whatever you guys falsely accuse it of. Uh, I mean, oh. falsely think that it's weaknesses. 
How is that uh, you, different you, than you attack? You attack. In other words, you attack government on the basis of immorality. I talk it uh, uh, purely rationally, from an economic uh, point of view, that it's inefficient. Right. When you have when, in democracy, you have like a or or republic, you have a, a pool of money where people are voting on how to spend it, and and you have the tragedy of the commons and so so on and so forth that makes it inefficient on how it spends the money. Right. You guys just say, oh. All, uh, all aggression is immoral, and no one believes this, and this is why your movement is doomed to fail. And none of you guys can, can uh, rationally argue for it because it doesn't make sense. Like, all aggression, that is silly. That's why you'll never convince even a, a large portion of the population that your movement is correct. You'll only get a commune of hippies. And that's what you're having now, right? You're not getting rational thinking people that establish good, a good rational foundation. Okay, so you don't care about morality, your... and you're of the viewpoint. I do. That I do. I just don't think all uh, no aggression is a moral system. You're of the viewpoint that other people don't care enough about morality, and so they're going to reject the no, idea. No, you're, that... you're you're confusing your system with morality. My morality is efficiency. Okay. Well, that's so just that's utilitarianism, sir. That's not that's yeah. not morality. I'm a type of utilitarian. Yeah. So you want us to? Uh, you you were saying we won't possibly succeed to get people to change the system from the inside, but that you will. How are you going to do that? Well, no. First off, you guys are um, you guys are you guys say all aggression is immoral. What is and your you plan, sir? I understand that you're here trying to attack what we're doing. I'm asking you yeah, for yeah, you your want, plan. You want my alternative strategy, right? So I I work within the system. I use the aggression. I use their inefficiency against them. So How? I vote for. I so, yeah. So I mean, so I, I mean, I'm just. I mean, you can you can wait for me to respond fully. And then, you just keep on rambling, but, though. So I have to stop you at some know, point I'm, to you're, ask you're another question. Before I even get to it. You're I mean, How are you going to use yeah. the system against itself? Again, so I, uh, in short, I vote for them to spend the, mo- uh, spend the most and uh, vote for, uh, <laughs> so through, 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 their, uh, through their fiscal irresponsibility. So I vote for measures that decrease the revenue, and I vote for the most spending. So I vote for things like the drug war, which you, I know, find inherently wrong or immoral. And I know you're, you're fighting with... And, and I thank you for it. You're fighting my cause for me. You suffer. You suffer. You pay the. You pay the cost. And I. Reap, uh, hopefully, I can reap the freedom when uh, the government collapses through fiscal collapse. Not okay. So you're an accelerationist. Then you're somebody who believes. You're somebody who believes that you can. You should actually make the government larger, faster. So there, more yeah. money. so therefore it will fall within yeah. on upon itself. Yeah, so correct. He, so yeah, you want to borrow more money. You want the government to borrow more money rather than increasing taxes. Yes, yes. I want them to borrow more money from people who lend it to them, hopefully, so that those people who lend the money suffer the most when they can't pay it back. Hopefully in the near future. And where are you calling from tonight, Skeeter? Uh, California. Good luck, bro. Thanks for the call. <laughs> All right. Uh, we continue uh, with uh, Mikey calling from Manchester, New Hampshire. Go ahead, Mikey. I'm actually closer to Concord, but um, I just received an email that my ticket has been refunded by the Free State Project for Porkfest. Oof. All right. So this is a follow-up on the discussion we had previously where uh, you had called in when we were interviewing the Porkfest organizer, Dennis Pratt, who claimed he banned you because he believed, without any real evidence, apparently, that you were uh, messing with 
one of the online conferences that they were having. He had somebody who was causing an issue in a Jitsi conference, and they uh, managed to get control of the conference room, kicked that person out who was anonymous, and then he alleges that you then joined the conference, and then he figured one you know that that previous person must have been you for some reason and that's that was his alleged reason for kicking you out yeah so that, i mean that's a kind of unusual line of logic to think that i would have come in anonymously and then come in you know as my own so right. it clearly would have been different people but there's also an, another few updates related to that prior to this discovery which i literally just discovered and managed to call in just in time but uh tuesday night i went to the new movers party in Manchester and I reached out to him and we shook hands and, and talked briefly and hmm. uh, had a friendly conversation. And then uh, Carla Garrick was there also uh, next to him. And then later in the night I approached him. He was around with his dog and, and uh, like in the middle of the room and not talking to anyone. And I said, Hey, I did not do what you think I did. Again, I'm denying it. Mm-hmm. And he basically immediately laid into me about all kinds of things and called me a number of curses that I obviously mm-hmm. can't say on air and then stormed off. Yeah, that's and then unfortunate. I think yesterday or today he started messaging me on Telegram asking me to call him. Mm-hmm. I was busy at the time, so I didn't have a chance to really reply or deal with that. And I was, you know, not really happy with the interaction the other day, so I didn't really see much reason to you know, respond to him right away. Okay. And he messaged me four times like, uh, you know, an insistent ex who, uh, you know, wants to be heard. Mm-hmm. And so I, I honestly did not get a chance to respond because I have a busy life. Right. So, and then I came home today from work and just saw a few hours ago that my ticket was refunded. Okay. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to be disallowed from the campground, correct? As far as I know, um, I have not received anything from the campground. I mean, presumably you reserved a campsite, you know, a year ago or whenever it was you reserved it, and that is still a campsite that is in your name. There's, to my knowledge, not any kind of security that is checking people's IDs or whatever when they come into Porkfest. Uh, there used to be years ago, and that was a, when the event was in a real downturn as far as I- it wonder though because they required a ticket in order to get a campsite the oh, did they? rogers did yeah oh really? so i don't know what that means as far yeah, as I don't his, either. His, you may want to call about your reservation and see if you still have it i am i'm going to do that i think at this point but i i have i'm site sharing with like i have two sites and i'm site sharing with like six or seven people so mm-hmm. that would be six or seven other people who are now dumped from the site oof and I mean, it, the other thing is if, in my view, if Rogers were to refund this, that would constitute a breach of contract because they did, the contract is with them. Mm-hmm. There's no mention of anything with Free State Project or an organizer or a single organizer having any veto say over, you know, right. that. I know they try to claim that. I mean, what's, but, what contract, though, are you claiming? He's well, contracted to buy that spot. Reserve, but do they Contract not reserve the right spot. to kick you out if they if if you know you break the rules or something along I those lines? I did look at the terms, and the only thing I can see is that if you break the rules, they can remove you. But there are there are contract laws and and um I guess traditions you could say that because I would have made I've made travel plans and stuff. You can't just cancel something on someone if they made you know I could have spent like a hundred you know a thousand dollars on travel plans and stuff, 
and that you're now dumping me like this for no apparent reason. I mean, in some cases, you can be obligated or expected to provide alternatives. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know what those. I don't know what those terms are um, that you know uh, exist. Unfortunately, so I don't know. I don't know. I, it would be. It would kind of be surprising if they did not have something in there that was sort of a catch-all to allow them to to basically kick you off your site. Um, yeah, I guess we're going to find out. I think it's going to. It's an interesting question because years ago, the Porcupine Freedom Festival, when it was kind of in its uh, decline. Uh, had locked down the campsite. They essentially campground. They, campground. campground. They they uh, they owned all of the spots. You had to go through them essentially to get assigned things. They had security that was checking people coming into the uh, to the campground, and then that went away uh, mm-hmm. when the event kind of decentralized itself over over the last several years. They got rid of the oppressive security uh, mm-hmm. feature that they had. And that uh, allowed for anybody who wanted to to come into the park and reserve a site without necessarily buying a, a pork fest ticket. Now, what right. you're saying, Chris, is they've now started to require pork fest tickets in order to reserve sites. Yes, um, that's. I'm sorry to hear that. I, I did not know that. I don't know when that change was uh, was implemented. But this there year. was. A, oh, this year. Yeah. Okay, so there were a few years there where that wasn't wasn't a requirement. They make that claim every so. year, and I don't know to what extent that's enforced. Um, did you have Robbie to show did. a ticket or prove when you reserved your site, Mikey, that uh, you I, had a ticket? I don't. Re- I don't remember. Plus, I'm they know me. Pretty well, sure so that I did. Oh, I can't speak to it because we we cut a deal too. directly with the owner of the campground, so we didn't have to show uh, tickets in order to get that deal. But that's that may be different than the average the other, person. The other thing is, I inquired with the organization about if there was some sort of contract between FST and Rogers regarding this, and I did not receive. I was like told I wasn't told anything. So. Mm-hmm. My view is that there is no such contract, and if there was some sort of agreement or contract, that you would essentially have to disclose that to people renting. You know, you know, one of the things I, the I I will say is that you know the campground Rogers and uh, I, I think in particular the Free State Project and organizers have not been very clear when they've gone and they've banned somebody mm-hmm. um, as to what, you know, they have actually done. Yeah. What's the um, mechanism? I mean, previously, yeah, I think there's this was so much opacity. Yeah. Like, yeah. I actually look back at the old minutes of the board to look at your supposed ban and Cantwell's yeah. ban. And it, it's very vague. Yeah. Well, even then they had the whole board vote on it. And in this case, it doesn't appear there's been any kind of board action yet. This is just yeah. a unilateral ban by well, also- the organizer. I've also heard that um, I think last year he tried to ban, I think, Rochelle Kelly. And this year, um, Justin O'Donnell said he was, they tried to ban him too. So it, it seems there's a lot of petty personal bannings here yeah. and not, you know, not like a. I know I heard Justin O'Donnell is just is going to protest the event and not attend. Yeah, It does seem like banned. there's a lot of petty stuff that happens, uh, you know, with, with this, you know. Just, I, I've never seen this before from any organizer before. This is, this yeah, is just insanity. You know, I, 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 I understand where Dennis is coming from. I mean, you, you can be, you know, you can be a jerk sometimes, but I don't. I don't think it's appropriate to ban you from Porkfest the event, as yeah, opposed agree. to a particular room. Kick you out of a chat room, yeah. sure, but not the not the event. It just sends the wrong message. Yeah. Thanks, Mikey, for the call tonight. Appreciate hearing from you. We actually have somebody calling in here from uh, Lancaster, New Hampshire. Caller, uh, what's your name? 
Uh, Francisco. Francisco, you're on the air. What's on your mind tonight? Hi. This guy seems like a big jerk. Okay. This, Mikey? <laughs> what's his name? Mikey. Oh, Mikey. The other guy. Oh, the, uh, the organizer. No, the of guy the... he's talking about. Oh, Dennis. Dennis is the organizer oh, yeah. of Porkfest this year. Yeah, I've heard about this guy. Mm-hmm. He seems like a violent criminal. <laughs> why do you, <laughs> why do you like, say that? If there was no, if there was no state in Lancaster, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. and someone came along and claimed that they had an authority to ban you from a private property that they did not own and had no contract to, and in, and asserted that they would enforce that, what would that make them? Hmm, that's a that's a good question. I mean, the problem is that there probably is a contract of some sort. We just don't know what that contract is. No, there isn't. There is not one. There is not. <laughs> well, one. clearly, there's a contract of and, some and kind because there was a contract between Mikey yeah, and is. Rogers, and there was a contract between the Pork FSP and Rogers because they're reserving spot. Yeah. They're, they're reserving some sort of space yeah. for their events. I mean, yeah. it, it, obviously, there's yeah. some sort of contract. The question is, we all know what are those contracts? Long time caller here. A long-time listener, first-time caller, but uh-huh. I know all about this pork fest. Yes. Okay. I know the agreement is that this organization rents rent certain parts of the campground. Correct. It. This guy's violent. He's violent. He's a criminal. And anyone who talks to him should be excommunicated. Francisco, are you going to be attending pork fest? That's the question, though. I'll be at pork fest. All right. Look forward to maybe I'll see you there. I don't have a a ticket. (laughs) All right, man. Hey, thanks for the call tonight. Out of time. If you didn't get in tonight, uh, we are back tomorrow. See you then. This is Mark Edge with Free Talk Live. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com is one of the best real estate agents I've ever worked with. I've been through about two dozen real estate transactions in my life, and I feel like I know what I'm doing But there's always the things that you don't know that you don't know. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com found a problem with the house that I was buying that ultimately saved me $65,000. He's a consummate professional, holds his people to his own high standards, and I would unequivocally recommend him for any real estate purchase in New Hampshire. Don't sell yourself short. Contact PorcupineRealEstate.com.